This is the joy of gaming. And welcome to the Joy of Gaming podcast. I am Rich Lapore. I'm Jordan Alseka. And we are here back after more than a year hiatus to talk about video games. And I could not be more excited, Jordan. It yeah, we're on what is it, episode seventy seven? Something, <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. No, it's ex- again like like we've been saying in the other episodes we've done. It's it's. Uh, we're, we're, this is like our version of the Parks and Rec special. We're coming back together after all these years yeah. because what else are we doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Which is which is awesome. Getting getting the band back together, and I will say, um, it's an interesting time to be talking about 2019's best games, which is what we're going to do today. Um, actually, a really good time because in many ways, you know, you use the first few months of the following year to catch up on any games that came out. You know, September through December period. Um, so yeah. I think there's some more stuff that both of us have played that were in 2019 for contention for Game of the Year. Um, and we're going to talk about all of that stuff. And so we're going to do the categories the way we normally do it. Jordan, run them down for the listeners. So we are going to hit our – start with our bonus category. You know, we like to come up with kind of one a little more on the spot or just that doesn't fit anything else. You know, something we like to talk about. We're going to talk about a new-to-us game for the year. And I think especially um, – and now more than ever, I, I could talk about so many games from that I've been playing recently. But I, I, I picked some from from 2019 that um, I think were not new that year, but were games I really liked. Then we're going to hit, of course, our top three. But we're also going to talk our favorite story of the year, favorite character of the year, uh, our most surprising, disappointing, and worst games, like we always do. And uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty good lineup of stuff. Uh, like we said in the film episode. Obviously, this is not a timely topic, given that it's uh, May, late May as we're recording this. But again, it's more just kind of fun. We wanted to do it. And, you know, maybe someone's going to listen to it. And especially now, all these games are on deep discounts in a lot of ways. For sure. So, for sure. They... Good time to pick them up. Um, and and I, let me just say another thing that I think is interesting to talk about when we're talking about 2019. 2019 is really the year when Xbox Game Pass became a really big part of my gaming life. Do you use it at all? Uh, on occasion, yeah, uh, it's worth the money, but it's also it's got to be a game I actually because it, it it's it's obviously a very good service if you're newer to the system. But I mean, a lot of it is stuff I've either played already or haven't. But when it's something big like Red Dead Two comes to it that I haven't played yet, I'm tempted. Cert- yeah. Certainly, yeah. the the thing The thing that it does for me, and this this sounds like schlock, or it sounds like what I heard when I was listening to a podcast about why Game Pass is so great for Microsoft, you know. But essentially, it does expose me to new genres. It gets me to play games I wouldn't normally play. So, like from indie games that I just probably wouldn't pick up because I haven't heard enough about them to be convinced, to I'm actually starting to touch on some strategy games just to like dip my toe and see what that's about. I have the ultimate version, so it also gives me the PC. So um, checked out some Slay the Spire, um, Time Spinner, things like that, that that I just couldn't pull the trigger on otherwise. So from that perspective, it's been really cool to me. Plus, it's like that thing, I don't know if you do this, but every week I go on to each of the big platforms and I check the sales. I think that's something that, that um, in the past, 
uh, Steam users have had that magical joy, right, of getting to go on like every week and there's these amazing deep discounts and the Ubisoft, you know, entire catalog sale and you buy every Ubisoft, not Ubisoft, but like more like Square Enix had like everything from up till the year before that and you get all of it for a hundred bucks or something and people are just like, yeah, I gotta have it and they buy it. And it's just exciting and it, and it gives you a reason to revisit and buy some games you wouldn't have bought otherwise. Well, in the last couple years, consoles have caught up with that joy. Um, and so for me, every week I go and I check out what's the PS4 sale this week, what's the Xbox One sale, and then Thursdays, somebody clued me in on this, every Thursday is when um, Nintendo Switch does their um, new discounts. And so what Switch does is they have, like, rotating discounts. So, like, usually when, when something goes on sale, it goes on sale for, like, a couple weeks. Um, but each Thursday they add a new bunch of games that have, like, a later expiration than the ones that are expiring only a week later. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, no, I, I do the same. I'm always looking at those sales and but, but, seeing. Um, yeah, but Game Pass also gives you gives me that joy of like, oh, I wonder what's going to be new and free, you know, this week. And so I bought it back when it was like killer cheap, so I have mine till late 2021 already prepaid. It was that thing where if you sign up for Ultimate during E3, you get um, grandfathered into the Ultimate package for every month of gold that you have on your account. So I had like two years of gold that I pre-bought and then kicked off Ultimate, so I got like two years of Ultimate for the gold price. So that's cool. Very nice. Um, so I've been, so every so it feels like you know free games to me, and so I go on there every you know week, and I'm like oh awesome, and then I'm usually disappointed to be honest. But sometimes I'm not. Sometimes awesome stuff happens, like Red Dead Two, and and you're just like oh my god, look at all the goodness. Oh, and like for example, they've started bringing like all of the um, uh, 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 Yakuza games are on there now. Um, they're they're starting to bring on Final Fantasy games. So like eight remastered just hit no nine excuse me nine remastered just hit and i'm just like oh my god that's something i never pulled it meh i may have it on another system but that's convenient you know um and and when they do that i'm just like really happy to see that i can just like pull it up and play it and a lot of those are cross play between xbox and pc so anyway it was a big year for game pass for me that i was something that i was really excited about um how about you What, what are some of the things about gaming in general in 2019 that were new to you or notable um Honestly, and, and this is the big thing, and I, it'll, I think it'll come through as we go through this list. Uh, I think 2019 was just – I think it's one of the most just there years in gaming in a long while. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't disagree. I, uh, you know, I had a lot of games that I, I had really intense like two- to three-week love affairs with. But – you know, as as time has gone by, they're and they're in the rear view. It's just like I I'm, I struggle to remember what was like. I know I had fun, and I know they were good experiences, but it's like nothing. Very little wowed me, but also on the flip side, very little wildly disappointed or angered me. It was just kind of a. It felt a little like a stopgap. I feel like. I don't even think the next generation of consoles is going to be that big a leap. I know, you know, there's the, all the talks. Obviously, technologically, like getting a solid state drive is a big deal. Right. Getting big storage, getting the, you know, capabilities for more, not necessarily graphical fidelity, but technical bonuses that can make, allow games to do new things. Um, and I think that it's just that time in the life cycle where franchises are repeating themselves, um, things are, are happening. It was just kind of a, uh, again, I was I, I looked up a quote specifically that that I know um, former co-host Tim McNeil used once from Gangs of New York. It's neither hot no, nor cold. It was lukewarm. It was a lukewarm year of gaming, and I think my list certainly is going to reflect that. 
Um, the, I don't the remember Mark him saying that. I believe you that he did, but I don't remember. Oh, that. it's one of the earliest episodes. Um, I, and it's always stuck with me. And I also think, though, it even though this episode is late, it is a fortuitous time to be doing this episode because it is, in fact, um, just either either last. I forget exactly when you did the first one, but it is ten years this um, couple of months here when you first did the first version of the Joy of Gaming. Wow. I didn't realize that. God, ten years, man. That's that's more scary than celebratory. But but I'm going to celebrate anyway. <laughs> well, on more celebratory side, it's also ten years of us knowing each other. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll definitely put that in the win column. Uh, and so uh, it's fun to do an episode. It's fun to look back on all that we've done. Um, and it's going to be fun to at least talk games because while I was not thrilled with this year. Um, there were still games that I really did love. There were things I liked, and I'm excited to talk about them. Yeah, me too. Me too. And, and I, I agree with you on the lukewarm aspect. Um, as I was going through this list, very few of these games was I just like, oh my god, I can't wait to talk about them. I'm just more enjo- going to enjoy talking about the year as a whole and all the different sort of ups and downs that it had. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of disappointments like when i when i got to the disappointing section i was just like oh and this one oh wait oh yeah this one too oh fuck that one also um and well, so there was a lot of that for me it was weird for me because the the margin between games i found disappointing and games that still had a pretty good shot of being in my like honorable mentions top three was very thin yeah wow okay all right well with that with that uh interesting tease tease from from you and and me let's uh let's dive into it and i'm gonna go ahead and start if that's okay yeah go for it as you just talked about your two or three week torrid love affairs with games that is actually kind of my made-up category so i'm calling it the (laughs) it's it starts it starts with a sound effect it goes like smoke it's the like smoke award and and uh, it's it's the idea that you start playing a game and it's like all you think about. You just think it's the best game. You're having so much fun. I can't believe how great this game is, how deep its layers are, how much I want to keep playing it every night you come home and you turn that game on. I almost should call it the Honorary Destiny Award, right? For games <laughs> that you just get so... But, I got, but th- that lasted longer than a couple weeks. But, but games that you just get so into for a couple weeks and then afterwards, it's like when I saw it on the list of 2019's games, I was like, oh yeah, that came out in 2019? Shit, I didn't even remember. So for me, the the uh, 2019 Pff, Like Smoke Award goes to Tom Clancy's The Division 2. <laughs> All right. <laughs> For very, very good reason. So this is a game that I think if you asked Ubisoft, they'd probably tell you um, that this deserves the Like Smoke Award. Um, because... Truthfully, they kind of like decided to do kind of a reboot for forty bucks uh, earlier this year. I think it's called like the 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 Warlord of New York or something like that. And they tried to like revitalize the game by bringing back the New York City map from the previous Division One and starting and sort of taking it in a whole new direction. So this is a game that I mean, if you look at the sales, I think it did a hundred million. There's like this sheet that recently came out for Ubisoft, and so you can see all the games that did you know sold a hundred million in their first whatever amount of time or lifetime sales of 100 million and i think division 2 was in there i'm not exactly sure it might have been it may not have been but i do know that this is a game that disappointed them in a lot of different ways um it just didn't have the the sticking power and i think part of that comes from the fact that a lot of the base that used to play the destinies and divisions of the world just plays battle royales now 
Um, I just think that's what... Ha- and hero shooters. I just think that's what happened to that audience. And so there are just not as many of them that are that are just like, you know, chomping at the bit to talk about Division and the new meta of the Division when they'd much rather talk about which hero in, in Valorant is, is more dominant right now, you know? And so I just think that that is one of the reasons that these games, and, you know, Anthem has this a whole lot of other stuff we could talk about with what happened with Anthem last year, but, you know, all of these games, they just didn't catch on the way companies wanted them to. And I think the big part of that is the industry has moved on a bit really quickly, too, because, you know, the, the sort of looter-shooter genre um, came, and it didn't last that long, and it seems like maybe it's left. I hope it gets revitalized, because I really like it. I know you're not the biggest fan, though. looter shooters. No, I... I... <laughs> I mean, obviously, I have a fondness for Borderlands. I think the yeah. the like connective world aspect of it is what will hopefully just go out the door. Um, because I think you can make like again, there's a reason dungeon crawlers because essentially a looter shooter is very much just like a Diablo style game, and Diablo Four is coming, and it's just it's shooting instead of hack and slash. And right. so again, I I value contained experiences, not that updates and things and like DLC isn't fun, but. You know, I had my Destiny 2 love affair last summer where I played a lot of it um, because I was out of work and it, it felt like the right time to get into it. And that game campaign-wise and, like, when you're doing, like, the DLC content and the story expansions is a lot of fun. But we after that, we played a little together. That was super fun. Yeah. And when you get to the grind, though, it's like, well, if you don't have – if it's not the center of your, your gr- gaming group's world, then it's just kind of there. You're absolutely right. That is a game that – I am completely intimidated to get back into because when I was at my height and playing it a ton, I had actually created my own group on there, and I actually was a moderator of a of a of a guild or whatever they call those. It's been so long, whatever they call the uh, the the, uh, the Destiny Two uh, clans. I think it was a clan. Anyway, um, and and I was a moderator, and I was on there every single night, and I was running raids, and I was doing like the super difficult raids. I mean, it was it was insane. And then once I dropped off. And I started to see, like, people left the the clan, and it was starting to, like, trickle down. Um, If I went back in there, I'd have to start from scratch. So you're right. It's it's a lifestyle game. And I think, you know, Luke Smith at at Destiny has even said – at Bungie has even said that same thing. He's like, you know, for people who want this game to be their hobby, period – we're going to start to cater to them now because honestly that's their bread and butter because when they tried to make it more of a casual game to like let everybody in and not you not have to be like that devout to enjoy it um all the hardcores weren't enjoying it you know and so it's very hard to win but i think that's where they've landed now is like this is a game for people who want to make this like their game and they may play other things a little bit but destiny 2 is their game um like i was i was i was reading an article on uh, polygon i think recently and it was a dude talking about how he said in destiny 2's doldrum days of 2020 destiny 1 siren song is calling to me right and and so this dude is such a destiny head that he plays destiny 2 until it gets to be about may which is when like the worst always the biggest slump of destiny 2 hits and now and then every year at destiny 2's slump he goes back to destiny 1 and plays all the raids with his buddies and he has a big enough group that he actually has enough people to raid with on destiny 1 when they're all kind of in this slump that's how much destiny is like his gaming ecosystem period um and so that just should show you kind of like the difference between him and say myself or you i'd say yeah so anyway. i think that's fair 
But uh, but but that game for me, Division Two, really fun game. When I see clips of it, I'm like, ooh, maybe I should go back. The shooting's really fun. I like <laughs> the bullet spongy enemy. You know what I mean? I like the bullet spongy yeah, yeah. enemies. Uh, I want to see the new areas. If it weren't forty bucks, I'd want to go check out New York and take a run through that new sort of playground of, of places to explore and missions to get and little little another thing I little side note I liked about Division Two is it has this cool thing where like you come across um, you know a, a tape recorder like you would in any game, but in this game they're like hollow quarters and so it like shows you like a almost like a VR simulation of the people and where they were standing on the street and what they were saying to each other and stuff and so it's like a it's like a it's like a recording. Um, but it's also like acted out like almost a little stage play, and it's, they're really interesting. And they're all over the city of DC in Division Two, and then obviously I'm sure that continued into New York when you go back. So um, there's a lot to love about it, but it's the kind of thing that I, you know I get about 60% of the way to the controller to play it, and then I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. So like <laughs> Smoke, Division Two is now out of my life, and probably will stay out at least for a while. Very good. What do you uh, got? Let's... Um, I guess for my f- like smoke. <laughs> uh, honestly, I could just call this my honorable mentions list. <laughs> like okay. I could okay. just put every game is because that's what I was thinking. I had so many games where I was like, man, I really enjoyed this for the week. I was week or two. I was playing it. Um, it's tough, I guess. In 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 order to talk about, I guess as many games as possible, I'll go with this one. Um, the Outer Worlds. Yeah. Uh, that that'll be mine. Um, that's fair. I obviously was looking forward to this game um, because Obsidian wait, wait, Entertainment... Wait, Outer Worlds, not Wilds, right? Not Wilds, no. I think you said Worlds. Okay, good. I did, yeah. Outer Worlds. Outer Worlds is phenomenal. You should play that game uh, if you haven't. Uh, but Outer Worlds is... It, it, it's everything I kind of wanted. Um, and th- this was kind of a theme this year where it was like games I really miss. But um, I think it's kind of like Destiny 2. You can't go home again uh, sometimes. Uh, because... It's Obsidian. They made the best Fallout uh, 3D game. They made New Vegas, which, you know... And I even... I, I spent a good chunk of last summer playing Fallout 4. Um, or not last summer. It was probably earlier this year. Time time means nothing right now. I know. Uh, and, you know, Fallout 4 is still fine. I think Fallout 4 benefited from not... Because when, when Fallout 4 was about to come out, I played New Vegas again. And New Vegas is so good, and it has so much character depth and so many side quests that are so fun. Um, and I love that game. I remember when it came out, uh, I got it. It was, it was, um, I was in college at the time, but I still managed to put like 80 hours into it inside of a week or two, uh, because I just loved playing it so much. And so the idea of them basically going, all right, we don't own Fallout anymore or have any right to build in it. We're just gonna make our own world of this corporatized outer space future and it is really fun. Um, the the characters are, are interesting. The dialogue trees are fun to explore. There's always I just love boosting my dialogue stats and being able to like talk my way out of stuff. But I actually played that with Game Pass uh, since we, we right. mentioned it. I think you mentioned that 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 Game Pass had like run out for you, and you were like, "Oh, should I renew it to finish the game?" Was that was that right? Yeah, that was kind of where I was at. And then I was like, but it, it kind of had. And it wasn't to this level, but it, it again, kind of bringing um, our former co-host Tim back up. I think it was like a Dead Island game where I put – you can put hours and hours into that game, and then you can stop and look back. And it's like, what have I actually done? Yeah. Um, 
because the side quests are fun, but they're so self-contained. And like the writing is sharp. I feel bad again. And this is a lot of my games. Outer, Outer Worlds is going to get hit here. But uh, again, when we get to honorable mentions, it's a lot of the same games I'm going to bring up where I was like, this was fun, but nothing about it was particularly new. Nothing about it was that thrilling. And ultimately, that familiarity was nice in a nostalgic way, but it just didn't do anything to excite me to that same level. It's like it, it's nostalgic, but it's not innovative and breathing new life into me and making me love video games in the way I have in the past. Um, and so once I, I lost that, uh, the Game Pass, I didn't re-up it, and I've just not had the desire to go back to it and finish it. So um, it is a very well-made game. And if you've never played New Vegas or it's a new type of experience to you, I think it it is great. It is a well-made game. It is like an 8, 8.5 game. I just... You know, once I was done playing it, it was like, all right, there, there it was. Yeah. So that would be my like smoke. <laughs> so award. fun to say. So fun to say. Uh, all right. So what's your category, man? So my category is one that I don't know that you'll have anything for, but it was is the thing I thought up, which is I spend a lot of time watching YouTubers um, or, or streamers who put their stuff on YouTube, uh, and that's like in a lot of ways my one of my biggest ways to interact with gaming. Uh, in the past year uh, was watching games. So for me, I, I gave this my, this was my spectator award uh, or the game that was the most fun to watch played um, throughout this year. And this also lets me mention a game I really liked a lot, was an honorable mention, um, but didn't quite make the top three. Uh, and my spectator game for 2019 was Super Mario Maker 2. I, I was about uh, to say, I wasn't going to steal your thunder, but I was about to say, I bet you it's Mario Maker 2. Yeah, uh, when this game came out, I, Mario Maker 2 was my most anticipated Switch game even before they announced it um, in this whole, like, de- because I, I really enjoyed Mario Maker 1. Um, it was just on the Wii U. Uh, and the stuff they added to it, like that first announcement was crazy because of all the cool things they added. And they've had two huge updates since then that have added so much more to the game. Um, and even still, it doesn't have everything from all those Mario games, but it's so close that it's like, it's about as complete as it's going to get. Because this was their final update for Mario Maker 2, the final major update. I mean, theoretically, they could add small things. But I really enjoyed playing it and making levels. And even still, I'll like hop in, especially when a new update comes out. I, I still have fun playing that because Mario is just always fun. And they like recently added like the World Maker so people can string their levels together and make little like Mario worlds. But... I was so into it when it came out and getting ideas and wanting to build levels that I started watching like new YouTubers. I, I subscribed to Grand Pooh Bear um, and then other people like Barb and uh, Panga and all of these YouTubers. There's this whole community of the speedrunners, of the people who make the super hard levels and then play them. And it, it there's a reason those streamers are so popular because it is fun to watch someone take on these ridiculously challenging levels. Um and I was like, there was a time there where I was watching like every video he put, and he puts out a video daily, Grand Pooh Bear, and I was watching them every day. I was watching the old episodes, and now he's just one of the YouTubers I like watching. He seems like a legitimately cool dude, um, which is always the thing. I always say that when I when I find a new <laughs> YouTuber or whatnot, I'm always like waiting for the shoe to drop because unfortunately, there's a lot of unsavory elements in the gaming sphere. But uh, no, he he seems have like had, legit. Have you had a lot of relationships like not not where they knew you, but where you were into a YouTuber and and the shoe dropped? Uh, yeah, I mean, most of the things I watched in high school because of a lot of terrible <laughs> behind the scenes revelations years later. Which I mean, that's nostalgic. It's a lot of people I wasn't watching now, but yeah. but I mean, again, 
it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, YouTube makes normal or regular people famous. And then, you know, that doesn't mean they're perfect. But that that's just life. Um, but I've had so much fun watching Mario Maker. I still have fun playing it. It's like a game, especially when the still updates come it? back. Yeah, especially when the updates come out and all these new levels and mechanics. And, and it's fun challenging myself. Um, and it's just a good game to have. It's one of those forever in the library. I mean, I sell a lot of the games I get, but... Or, I mean, less so now because I buy so much digitally. Yeah. Um, but not on Switch, but I still have that car, cart. I, I like to play it. Uh, so that's my spectator game. I have for a 20. question. I, I'll have something to say about that. But question. Somebody like me that bought Super Mario Maker 2 started playing around with the 100 levels a little bit and then kind of fell off of it because I never got into it in that way. Could I go to it now? And then if I did, I know I could. But if I did... How would I know where to find, like, good medium-hard levels? I don't want to play excruciating levels. I want to play, like, the people that – I think they did a world update where now you can have, like, World 1, 1, World 1, yeah. 2. I want to play, like, good Mario games that other people have made that are not brutal hard. Is there a way to find that shit? Yeah, you can custom your searches by difficulty. Um, and difficulty in that game is weird because it's based on clear percentage. But if you do expert or even normal, experts – I think the sweet spot of challenging enough without being crazy hard, which is super expert. Um, Cause expert is like, I think it's 10% clear rate, which, you know, means basically, you know, it'll take you about 10 tries to beat it on average. Uh, whereas super expert is like 1% or less. But see, I don't <laughs> so, even want to, I don't, I just want to have fun Mario levels. I'm not even I mean, the normal. Okay. I mean, if you, if you just go to the world maker, it'll show you like the current worlds and you can see how many people have hearted it, how many people have beaten levels. Like the stats are all there. It's just a matter of looking and the worlds are a little more fun because people are making really good ones. They're, they're putting together stuff. And again, there, there's so many cool mechanics. Um, it's just a fun game. I, I think it's a matter of, of, you just got to look a little, but it, the options are there to custom tailor your searches. Okay. I, I, I kind of believe you. I just know that in my past experience with any of these curated games, like, that's the reason I don't want to get dreams. Like, I remember a little Big Planet. Like, I'd go in there, I'd fool around for 20 minutes, and I'd be like, eh, I found some things that were all right, you know? It's just hard to find the gems. And I know for you, being, you know, if you inv- it's almost one of those things, if you invest a ton of time in it, it's incredibly rewarding. But a surface scratch doesn't really yield that much. Do you kind of know what I mean? Yeah. And, no, I get you. But um, but maybe it would be maybe and that's and that really is the kind of the indication of how well they do their curation. But anyway, cool. So for me, for your category, um, I'm not going to say um, best um, spectator game, but I'm going to say uh, YouTuber or YouTube channel that I discovered in 2019 that I'm absolutely in love with, and that is Skill Up. Have you ever watched Skill Up or the Layman? No. So they are Skill Up is like. It, he he started out kind of doing like gaming essays. It's sort of like you know the, you know how people do like essays on YouTube, um, and they're kind of like you know thirty minutes on a subject, and they really tear into it. And they probably took you know four months to make that video. They're very well edited, etc. So this guy's doing that for gaming, and he got his real like big. He's Australian dude, and he got his real start by ripping down Fallout seventy six, saying that it's like critically, morally, and socially corrupt. You know, and just like totally just ripped it up and shredded it and I mean and very effectively. But for me, what I love is any of these big games that come out a lot and he picks a lot of the ones that I'd be interested in, like Greedfall. And he's like he takes it from the angle of, you know, if you love 
um, Dragon Age and The Witcher and Skyrim and all of these types of games, and you're starving for more, you were probably excited about Greedfall the way I was excited about Greedfall. And he says, but at this point, unfortunately, as much as I want to, I can't recommend it to you. And then he takes 20 minutes to talk about all the great things about it, but that it just at the end of the day isn't good enough and this is why and this is why and this is why so he goes really in depth it's well edited he's super smart um and i just get a ton of value out of it so i would say skill up videos are amazing also if, if you haven't checked it i think you have a little bit but um no clip um yeah danny, danny dwyer i mean he he's about i think it's on the precipice it's already pretty big but i think it's on the precipice of really going fucking nuclear in terms of like nobody's doing what he's doing doing amazing gaming documentaries uh, so those are two that I just want to call out that I that I love and and have been checking out in 2019 a lot. Any any quick ones you want to mention? Um, I mean, you know, it's all the I'm I'm I don't want to say set in my ways. I'm trying to think if I've added many gaming uh, YouTube, but no, I mean it's the completionist uh, yeah. completionist super beard bros. Um, Stop skeletons from fighting. Oh right, that's uh, a good one. He's he gotten he's gotten even bigger, I think, in the last year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's had a good. They've had a good year there. Um, no, it, it's yeah. I, I watch a lot of the people that I watch for gaming are, are just the same people I've always watched for gaming, but I, I like them a lot. Nice, cool. All right, well, on to new to me. So I think I started the first one. So I think you're up to start the next one. Uh, sure, I can start this one out. Um, so new to me. Uh, this one was interesting because um, I was a little torn. There were two, and I'm just going to mention the the one quickly. Because uh, it's technically an expansion, so if you, I don't know how how technical you want to get. Uh, but Final Fantasy XIV Heavensward. Um, oh, okay. Was phenomenal. I played all of it over the the past uh, summer, and I already enjoyed Final Fantasy XIV. And there were so many people that say, uh, "You just get the, get to Heavensward. The game gets good when you get to Heavensward." <laughs> I actually enjoyed the base game, uh-huh. and I actually really enjoyed the post game, which a lot of people. Uh, hate on for the story in the post game, but I thought it was actually really good. Right. But I mean, Heaven's Word is a step up. It it the the boss the dungeons and the boss fights um, are a real step up, and you have to actually consider them a little harder. Um, and, and granted, everything in that game is a little power creeped out by virtue of how many expansions there have been since then. So you know, people are coming even nerfed with with solid like equipment to just like burn these bosses down. Uh huh. But uh, if it was in contention, this would be, like, my best story of the year, no question. Um, Are you sure that Shadowbringers didn't uh, creep in enough to make it count? <laughs> I didn't get to Shadowbringers. Okay. But, so uh, I wish I had. Like, I definitely – like, I want to at some point be um, current with Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, it's just – it takes a long time to get there, and I get very easily distracted doing side quests and – other things because the game is so fun and that is the big thing the game is so fun uh and and narrative wise it like heaven's word is like some of the best writing in any final fantasy game ever um wow and i've only heard yeah and i've only heard better things about Shadowbringers, so i'm excited to get there at some point um it's just one of those burn and bust games where i play it and play it and play it and then i just i have to take a break i mean how much can you play i mean it's just it's an insane insane amount of content no, it is, and I mean, I have over ten days of game time in that. Wow! Uh, so, wow. it's gonna take me a while still to get to 
current and i mean we're already probably a year out only another year till the next expansion at this point so Dude, Stormblood, it's calling to you man hey wait didn't i see a tweet this year that said the blood is storming in my veins yes i did reach um the start i beat the i finished the he- heavens words post game's kind of weird because it's like half of it is heavens word related and half of it is the Stormblood setup so i have reached Stormblood proper but i'm not that far into it it's early going and i was like I kind of wanted to wait till I was ready to play it again, which could be soon. Uh, Um, But, you know, that's a good one. But if uh, the other big one I wanted to mention for this is um, Alien Isolation, uh, which really, yes, I played through uh, former co-host Kelsey and I will play horror games with share play, which is the I think most underrated and best feature of the PlayStation 4. Um, and Xbox keeps saying they're going to add it, and I'm hoping the Xbox what, Series what X does, do? does. With share play is where you can link up with another player, and then they can share their screen to you, and then they can also give you control of the game. Okay. Um, so we would basically... And it lasts... It has a weird arbitrary time limit of an hour, but you can just immediately start another session, so I don't really know what that's about, other than... Mm. But it worked out for us, because Kelsey would play for an hour, and then give me the controller, and I would play for an hour, and then we'd just go back and forth, kind of playing through Alien. And we've played a lot of games like that. We played... Um, I know what the hour is about. I just figured it out. What? It's about if you set up share play and uh, you're going to work, you just set your buddy up with your console and your video game, and they can play for eight hours straight without you even being there. I mean, I guess. I mean, it's not they a huge deal. have but a console. And, I mean, there are already games you can share. I mean, again, the, the, the great thing about this console generation is the fact that you can make someone else's console your home and you can share games. So, I don't know. It, it just seems arbitrary. I get it. It's whatever. Um, but, regardless, like, we've, we've played a lot. We've played Remothered. We played... Um, Soma, we played uh, Call of Cthulhu, but Aliens, uh, Alien Isolation was so much fun. It really like earns its reputation as being the best Alien game, and, and just being a great stealth game in general. It's so unique how that game works, and how you're hiding and trying to avoid the alien, and just... the. It's one of those games where it's, it's arcane weirdness kind of like works for it, because there are things that are fiddly, but it's in service of the game kind of wanting to be a little fiddly, so that you're stressed out about the alien um is that what do you do in that whole game like did you play the whole thing yeah we finished it it. isn't it like 12 hours and like one alien and just like hiding in 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 lockers yeah i mean that you you, you're going around you have to like find your way through the ship you got to find things and turn on engines and at some point you're trying to trap the alien i mean it's progress. I mean, it's progression like in any other game. It's just that the, and then there are also the Joes, the regular Joes, which are the robots, and those you can actually fight. Uh, but with the alien, it's basically like you either have the means to like drive it off with fire or something, or if it if it gets a sense of you, you're dead. I mean, Wait, it, it is. How do you fight the Joes? You get a shotgun. You get pistol, stun baton. Oh. Uh, you do get yeah. weapons. You get weapons, it's just they, other than the flamethrower, which will scare the alien off, it, they have no effect. If you shotgun the alien, it's still running at you and no, killing you. No, absolutely, but that at least explains that you have other ways to interact with the world aside from just pushing a button on a console. 
yeah, and you get a tool that lets you like there are many puzzles to open locks and there's like a a wrench that can remove deadbolts from doors. Isn't and... it a little sad that I just got way more excited about this game now that I know there's a gun in it? <laughs> I mean, isn't that terrible? <laughs> it's it's one of those things. Even that artificial sense of safety can help. Well, it's not even uh, that for me. For me, it's mechanical complexity just went up. Like I just can't because that's the thing. Like there's so many games. I'll give you a great example: Thimbleweed Park. Right? I know I'm gonna love that game and that story. But when I get off from like a long day of work or anything that's sort of like more, I don't know, le- less interactive, more just like reading stuff, absorbing information, all of that, and I get down to play a game, I want to have like buttons that you can push and do stuff. That sounds really re- reductive, but like I want to be able to like have mechanics in my game, and I don't want them to just be like you push a button and wait 60 seconds for a door to open. Like that doesn't feel satisfying in a mechanical way. And so I was just I, I, I was hoping that this game would have more than just you know what an adventure game has, and it sounds like it does, which is cool. It and, does. But but the point is you can't kill the alien. I get it. So it has the best of both worlds. That that makes me more excited. Yeah, there is combat. It's just not the focus. Um, but yeah, no, it was a really good time. It it's it's a great game, and if you haven't played it, it's uh, worth checking out now. I mean, again, it's, it's, it's probably super cheap. Yeah, it's on Game Pass, and uh, yeah, uh, I'm again. Just let me sing the praises of of SharePlay. I think it is um, a fantastic feature, and I really hope both systems next generation have it. No lag. There, I mean, again, it's it, it's dependent on internet connection, but for the most part, it worked pretty seamless. It works pretty seamlessly. Nice. As long as you both have good internet connections. Nice. Um, well, you know what this means. We're up to number three, dude. We did you have a new to you game? Oh, I do. I'm sorry. Yes, I almost <laughs> skipped over this. Almost skipped over my own game. Uh, yeah. So I won't go into this too much, as we spent like three episodes a, a year ago talking about Kingdom Hearts. Like, straight up three episodes. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. It was really fun, and it was really full of Kingdom Hearts, let me tell you. So I had the experience that you were talking about back then. So we're, we're um, sort of sh- time-shifted against one another, where um, when you were playing Kingdom Hearts 1, you know, for the in, in, you know, in your new incarnation, your, your later-in-life playthrough of that game, um, I wasn't playing any of it. And then when you're playing Kingdom Hearts 2, I was playing Kingdom Hearts 1, and we're, so we were sort of staggered in, in, in that way. Um, so while I was talking about Kingdom Hearts 1 and um, uh, what's the one that comes after that, the card-based one, I'm blank. Chain of Memories. Chain of Memories and loving those games, you were talking about 2 and then a little bit of Birth by Sleep. Well, now it's it, now I've finished both of those games, and man, did I play a lot of both of them. So Kingdom Hearts 2 is a phenomenal game, like you said. It's just fantastic, you know, front to back. It's just a, it's a, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to argue. That's just a great game. And being able to play it, you know, on modern consoles with modern controls, it's just, it's a, it's a wonderful experience. Loved that. And I also loved Birth by Sleep. I know you only got about halfway through it, right? No, I made it to the third playthrough. Oh, okay. Okay. So two, two thirds or so. Um, so I played all of them. And not only that, but for two of them, I got every command unlocked, which is really grueling. Um, but it was also really fun. Um, I'm just ever impressed that that game ends up being really fun because, like, that game and Chain of Memories both, and a bunch of other games in the series also, like, they're just not as, like, at first as good as the combat of one and two. Um, 
but Birth by Sleep, even though it like has sort of slower combat, except Aqua, she's a little faster. But you know, even still, it's it's it just it doesn't play as smoothly. It feels like the PSP game that it is, right? But if you really get into its depth, I spent hours upon hours upon hours and just got completely absorbed in that world. So needless to say, I did all of that, and I got up through the. I picked up uh, point two, a fragmentary passage. Played that. Um, played the video back cover. Um, and what else is in that new... Oh, right! And I also played... I can't believe it. I also played um, Dream Drop all the way through and got almost... and got and unlocked the, the hardest of the, uh, of the little dudes. So I played a ton of Kingdom Hearts. It may have crept a little bit into 2020, but either way. Sure. Um... New to me was Kingdom Hearts 2 all the way up through Dream Drop so, and back cover and Fragmentary. So now I am right at the precipice of a game that I think came out in 2019, Kingdom Hearts 3. Indeed. And so I'm sure that may pop its, its ugly slash pretty head up at some point in this uh, conversation. But new to me, playing all the games leading up to 3. Very nice. Uh, now that brings us to number three. <laughs> okay. So what and do you got for, me? for three? Yeah. Okay. So for me, this is one that we had a fun uh, interaction about. Um, my number three game is Control. Um, I have an interesting experience with Remedy games. Um, I'm old enough that I played Max Payne. Um, then later on, I was right at the prime age and the prime excitement level to be hyped about Alan Wake didn't love Alan Wake. I liked it. Didn't love love it. Um, certainly played it all the way through, and, you know, it went its supernatural Twin Peaksy direction, and I went with it and tried to tried to kind of enjoy it on its own terms. Um, I don't think I ever played the DLC that eventually came out for that, which, like, basically made it even more like it's all a storybook or blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I shouldn't say that because I, I didn't really play it. But, but anyway, so Alan Wake was okay, but I always sort of felt like that mechanic of the flashlight and getting the darkness off dudes and then shooting them was just, I don't know, it was a cool thought, but I don't know how mechanically fun it was for me. After a while, at first I liked it, but after a while I didn't. Then we move on to Quantum Break. I don't think I'm skipping any there. And Quantum don't think Break, so. and I felt this way about all their games. I feel like my character's not really walking on the ground. I feel like my guns are just like, there's a disconnect between me and my guns. They don't They're extremely arcadey. Maybe, maybe it's that. Maybe yeah, they play a little time splittersy. Um, but I just, I, I, I just feel disconnected from my character in a lot of those games. And I, and I, you may not agree, but for me, Control feels a lot better. Um, and I, I really enjoyed Control mechanically. So I picked it up because I was excited to play the story. And if you remember, if we played back, I think I actually picked Quantum Break as one of my best games one year. Um, I believe. So. I, it hasn't aged in such a way that I think of it that fondly, but I remember that the story, and I really loved the the TV episode concept, and I really liked the guy that played the bad guy in that. I really liked the story elements, and the combat was okay, you know? But this game, I just enjoyed the hell out of it. It was about 20 hours, um, and I think what I loved about it was exploring the oldest house, um, was all of the cool lore that would pop up at different places. I didn't love the map, um, the map is a little bit confusing because it's a 3D space with all kinds of ups and downs and lefts and rights. And when I say ups and downs, I mean like, you know, there could be two doors into the same place, but one is up here, upstairs, one is downstairs. And so the maps don't really show you that clearly, so you don't really know how to get back to places you need to go. Um, and they do it on purpose. Like they, It's a Metroidvania, and they don't want you to like really have a good map. 
Like, it's clearly done on purpose, but that sucks. Like, don't do that to me. Give me a good fucking map. <laughs> um, so that part was a little bit less than ideal, but the character is great. I loved her brother until the ending. I didn't think they did sold that ending really well. Um, I love the idea of her coming in and kind of becoming the new director. Um, I love, like, some of the reveals. Not because they're so shocking, but because they were satisfying from a plot and lore perspective. So... Uh, when I found out kind of why her and her brother were, were tied up in this whole world or how directors are chosen or what these creatures really are and where they're coming from and why and this idea of a phone booth and this idea of the board and taking this idea of like a corporate world where you have like a board of directors and making it creepy, which is kind of is creepy in real life anyway. And, you know, all of that that cool stuff, they take a lot of corporate ideas and, and, and sort of government bureaucracy ideas, and they attach those to, um, you know, almost Lovecraftian horror in a really cool way. So there's tons to like about that game. Uh, it's been a while since I played it, so so parsing, like, the specifics of I loved this reveal or loved that part specifically is harder. I'm really looking forward to playing both DLCs once the second one is uh, released. So I almost re- – I have the game sitting on my shelf. I almost picked it back up to play Foundation, which is the first DLC, because I've heard it's like a 7, 5, or 8 out of 10. It's really good, but it's like 2, 3 hours. But but AWE, which is coming out later this year, is supposed to actually, we'll see with COVID, but it's supposed to actually be an Alan Wake-like tie-in, and so that somehow these, these games are in the same universe, and that's really exciting to me it's more exciting to others but to me i still like that idea plus i just want to wait till there's about 10 hours of gameplay to play rather than like learn the mechanics again to play a couple because i'll give you a great example spider-man loved spider-man in 2018 right that game came out and then all the dlc came out you know two months then three months then four months after well i'd have to come in and relearn all this like intricate combat i'd gotten really good at the combat by the time i was done with that game but I wasn't going to try to relearn it for each DLC as it came out. So I may at some point go back and play all of them. But it's one of those things with Control. If I'm going to go back to it and I'm going to relearn how to like use the telekinesis properly and which mods I like the best and upgrading my things just the right way, I want to like have enough content to sink my teeth into. So anyway, love that game. It's not my game of the year, but I had a great time with it. And it does the things for me that I love in video games. I, I could almost give it the honorary Bioshock Award. You know, it's like that kind of game. It's a narrative shooter with audio logs strewn about for me to collect. Um, and it's got Metroidvania aspects. I mean, what more could Rich Lepore want, right? So, loved it. Control. That's it. Very nice. Um, so, right away here is where we're going to get into the fact that this was such a lukewarm year. Because I was looking at all my number three choices and I was just like, all my honorable mentions, or, or like my short list, and I was just like, I mean, any of these could kind of take the spot. There's not really one that I'm that passionate about. <laughs> um, and so it was, it was a matter of looking at all these games and going, like, which of these has has stuck with me and which one of these do I think is, is like, uniquely fun and it really was something that I loved without having that sort of that effect we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, so for me, my number three is uh, Slay the Spire. Oh, hell yeah. Um, I love this That's a beloved game, game, man. People love that game. So so if you don't know what Slay the Spire is, it is a roguelike deck-building dungeon crawl game where you play one of three classes, and they each have their own kind of unique abilities. One's very much based around 
Um, actually, it's not even based because like the, the way cards come at you, you can do different builds of like either being super defensive or being super offensive or being based on getting a lot of knives really quick or trying to get that poison counter as high as possible. And so it all comes down to what rewards you get. How do you call your deck? And so in a deck building game, you start with a very basic deck of like, I think it's 12 cards in Slay the Spire that have like punches and blocks. And then as you progress, you get cards that are specific to your class and you can remove cards with certain services. You can upgrade your cards so they do a little more damage. And you just progress through this dungeon. And the three classes are all super unique and fun in how they play. The... Um, the way the game does progression is really cool, and it has these um, unique... After you beat the game with the characters, it, you unlock, like, Ascension, and then you can keep rebeating the game with higher and higher difficulties to do... Uh, just progress the quote the meta story. I mean, it's a very light thing. Uh, if you just want to play it because it's fun to dungeon crawl and deck build, it works perfectly for that. Um, and you unlock new cards that can show up in your runs. You unlock new items you can get like these artifacts that will give you special bonuses um to like how many cards you draw or how much damage your poison does um and it's just like, you know, this this it's it's like a deck building game it's kind of um it's that hybrid of like combat and dungeon crawl and it's just super fun i got really into it when it came out and i played like a bunch and then anytime i travel it's kind of my go-to game because i i like then several six months later back around uh, holidays when I went home for MAGFest, uh, I was like, no, let me play Silly the Spire again. And I played a bunch of it on the plane, a bunch of it at home. It's just, it's a super fun game to play while you're listening to a podcast or watching a TV show. Um, because there's no real story uh, and it's all strategic um, tactical decisions. Uh, and sometimes you can get really good roles and it's fun to like come back from what seem like unwinnable scenarios. Um, and it's kind of uh, one thing that's really cool about it is you always see what the enemy is going to be doing next turn. So you can plan your moves to kind of like block what you know is going to be really bad for you or or try to like interrupt things. And it's just, I don't know, it's 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 one of a lot of types. There's a new game called, oh shoot, let me, let me remember the, the exact title that looks kind of like a new version of it called, I'm going to find it, uh, Monster Train where you're like on a trade of monsters and it's deck building and, and kind of roguelike, but, but there's like multiple levels and you summon the monsters to the field. And it's just this, again, it's one of those genres that like, yeah, it's perfect for video games and games let you do these things. Um, but Slay the Spire is just, it's so much fun. Uh, it, it's not like world changing, but it's so good at what it does. Um, and I love it. So it, it got my number three over some of my other honorable mentions just by virtue of, being unique, being different, and being a game I've actually come back to and wanted to come back to. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's a game that I, I you know, I played a very little bit of it, and I and I really enjoyed what I played. Um, and I see a bunch of different friends of mine that love that game, so I, I definitely want to give it some more time. Yeah. So that is my number three. What about you, Rich? So, um, wait, my number three. Oh wait, you did. You're yeah, right. You did. I did my number you did three. Control. Yeah. Yeah. All right. On to story. Story, yeah. So uh, this will be on me again because this. Uh, all right. Uh, story, like I said earlier, Heaven's Word was probably the best story I experienced all year in gaming. But uh, Heaven's Word is from 2015. Mm-hmm. So, uh, or is that right? Yeah, that's I right. I wonder if that. Yeah, but haven't they done like patches and updates to it? Anyway, it's a living game. But yeah, you're right. 2015. 
Um, yeah, I mean the bulk of it. Yeah. So uh, this is one where it was it was kind of tricky because a lot of the stories this year were really part of it is I was trying to spread the love and I didn't want to just talk about one game a lot. Okay. Um, so you can maybe put an asterisk with this because um, and and I'll mention when I get to the specific game that like kind of won everything for me this year. Uh, might be my number one. Might not be that hard to guess. Uh, but for me, my favorite story of the year goes to Borderlands 3. Um, reason being, it's not revolutionary. Um, Borderlands, Wait, this is, you ultimately went and played Borderlands 3? Yes. When did this happen? Uh, like in the last couple weeks. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so I, I started Borderlands 3 in September, and it didn't grab me right away. You know, part of it was... You know, it. it I, well, this is my chance to soapbox about Borderlands Three. Uh, it, in a lot of ways, is just more Borderlands, and I, on one hand, that's a good thing because Borderlands Two, I think, is one of the best games ever made. Um, and this feels more like Borderlands Two than the pre-sequel did, um, but it. I just wish it was more innovative. Um, and I know, I know that that's like the thing is how do you innovate, but it just, the, the vault hunters aren't that exciting. And the, um, the small additions are nice. Like the quality of life stuff, like being able to fast travel from anywhere, the mantling and the sliding, um, are nice, but it just, it didn't grab me right away because it was so samey. And it, you, you definitely end that game more than I think even some of the others. You start real slow in terms of the guns you get and the abilities. Yeah. Uh, and so it just didn't hook experience. me. Same experience. And and it's worth noting, like everyone else has, um, they struck absolute gold with Handsome Jack. Um, and I don't know that, like that series is probably never going to have anything as good as Handsome Jack again. Um, without just trying to carbon copy him or bring back from the dead. Um, but so, so yes, the, uh, the twin, the Calypso twins aren't that exciting as villains. Um, but as that game goes on, as I kind of settled into that groove with it, it is just straight fun. Like Borderlands two gameplay is seven years old and it shows its age even with the updates, but it's still very fun um, and once I got past the first couple of areas, like especially once you take off for outer space and start visiting some other planets, the writing is just fun. I mean, it's very juvenile in that Borderlands way, but they give the characters fun lines to say it's just pleasant. And I think that's kind of like my, my takeaway. It was a pleasant experience. There was very little narratively in 2019 that like blew my socks off. And so it was really a matter of me deciding, okay, what's a game where the story was something I enjoyed. And I've enjoyed the story in borderlands three. I'm excited to check out the DLC. And, uh, you know, again, it's you that finished it. Yes. Wow. It's, what, this is blowing my mind, man. Cause you were like the dude that like should have played borderlands three, but didn't. And now all of a sudden I'm hearing this. Yeah. I just kind of like plowed through it. We've been taught. I, I, I want to get to the DLC. I want to spend more time with it, like, because the Handsome Jackpot is the first DLC, which, again, not no surprise, they found a way to bring Handsome Jack back. Right. Um, and, again, it's not groundbreaking. It's not as good as Borderlands 2's story, which actually manages some emotional beats that are effective. Um, it's a little ramshackle, but it's fun. And, again, like, 
looking back over my list at some of the games, there are some games where I just didn't play them and maybe the story would have been better there. But just on the whole, like it, 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 it was a game I really enjoyed the world of. I enjoyed a lot of the new characters they added. And, you know, I don't know how it's going to hold up on repeat playings. Like Borderlands 2 is a game where I, even now when I've replayed it recently, I'll still listen to the dialogue and the story because it's so good. Um, but for a first time through, I enjoyed Borderlands 3. So that would be my story for 2019. Okay. All right. Super surprise. There's our first twist of the night. Um, <laughs> how about you? I it was, was a hard category to pick for. I got to be honest. Yeah, like, it's I, not by much. I had a I had a really hard time picking best story this year. So obviously, um, games like Resident Evil 2 Remake, I love that story, but um, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know, I don't best story. I don't think Resident Evil 2. I just me personally, um, The Outer Worlds. While I was playing that game, I was really into the story. I loved going to that world. There was that one companion that was really awesome that everybody liked, and that really cute love story that she had um, with the mechanic, the ship mechanic. That was really cool. Um, it has um, sort of like the crazy, um, uh, you know, uh, what's the, you know, the main dude who introduces you to the world, like the crazy like professor type. Right. Yeah. And like, what's his motivation? At one point, I think he may be a bad dude. Maybe he is a bad dude. Um, you know, it it all was like seventy five percent realized. I think that's kind of where I land on that game. Like everything in that game is like seventy five percent of the way there, but twenty five percent more would have been like would have made like it twice as good. Do you know what I mean by that? Like it? No, I just I, I think the big takeaway is that you're referring to everything by like by that dude with the thing or yeah. that story. It's like. It was very ephemeral. Like, I could not necessarily name the beats of the story as I played it very well. Yeah. Uh, some of them. I, but... I remember some parts. I remember some kind of good quests. Like, I remember one where, like, and there's always a decision to make that was, it felt meaningful at the time. Like, do I divert the power over to, like, this city of gardeners? Or do I divert the power to, like, the power plant, try to convince the gardeners to go back to the power plant instead of doing their own thing? And and I remember all of those beats. I remember the guy who went out to be a grave digger, uh, which I think is actually a take on a Dickens story now that I was watching uh, 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 recent Dickens. Um, so, you know, there's there's lots of interesting stuff going on there. I think story-wise, it's definitely a cut above most games. Um but it's hard for me to say best story for that one. I also really enjoyed the story of Jedi Fallen Order last year. Um, but is it, like, best story? I don't know. Um, unfortunately, I haven't finished Death Stranding yet. I'm only, you know, a little ways into that game. So, A, that's not really up for most of my categories. And B, um, but it, but the part of it I did watch and all of, like, the, the cutscenes that I've seen, like, in the, in the roll-up to that game, like... I'd probably have to say that probably would win if I'd seen it, if I'd played it. Um, so I'm gonna, in an honorary sense, I'm gonna say Death Stranding. <laughs> I think even just like 30 minutes of cutscenes I've seen already are probably a better story than most of the games I played last year. Um, but yeah, that would be kind of my my jumbled mess of an answer. I'm gonna give it to The Outer Worlds officially. Um, but uh, but yeah, big asterisks there. Fair enough. Uh, is is your character any more clear? Uh, Yes, but for like a fun reason. Rather, All right. Rather, so, who's yes. your favorite character of Twenty right, Nights? Uh, yeah. So, uh, Zangetsu from Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Have you played that? I have. So, Zangetsu 
is, speaking of uh, Hideo Kojima, it's the return of David Hayter in video games. Um, so he is voiced by David Hayter. He's a demon hunter, and he shows up throughout your game, and he is bad as fuck. And he's voiced by David Hayter. And so it's it's kind of just in a fun way that he's my favorite character of the year. But, like, really, when that voice starts growling over my speakers when I'm playing it, and it's like, and he's just so gruff and grizzled and awesome, it just reminds me why I love video games. And so if I'm playing a video game and I'm being reminded why I love fucking video games... I'm probably hanging out with the right character to give my award to for the year. So Zangetsu from Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is my pick. Um, there were good characters in Control. There were good characters in Death Stranding. Um, but Zangetsu, man, with a bullet. All right. I mean, I think that's fair. Um, what do you it's a surprise, though, I'll be honest, just just by, by – but, but again – I was kind of in the same place. I think character was a little stronger this year just because even if narratives weren't amazing, there were yeah. characters I really enjoyed. I really like Jacob uh, – Wainwright Jacobs in Borderlands 3 okay. who is um, Hammerlock's fiance and they, they get married in the second DLC. Or The second DLC is about their wedding. I assume they make it down the aisle, but who knows. Okay. Um, uh, I really enjoyed him. Uh, I enjoyed um, – general characters in borderlands really uh i liked b from uh, pokemon sword and shield even though i didn't love the ending of their story um but for me my favorite character is gonna go to a game that again it was one of those kind of come and went games this is an honorable mention but it's one of those ones where i played it and then i it, it a lot of it has fallen away but the main character's central journey has stuck with me and I, I think in a year of fun characters, there were very few arcs that worked. But Cat uh, Diaz in Gears 5 uh, was my favorite character of the year. Did you play the whole game? Uh, we didn't. We haven't finished it yet. But you're uh, kinda, lot, you've played a lot of it. Yeah, we're almost to the end. And again, that's a lot of these games. But uh, And so maybe you want to put an asterisk next to it for that reason. No. But... Um, Gears 5 was, I think, a, a really strong return to form after Gears 4, which felt like just kind of a their game. Um, I actually played Gears 4 last year and really enjoyed it, but but I hear you. Um, it, it isn't like... Yeah. I don't hate JC like everyone does, but... I, I, I have no... The, I think the thing Gears 5 did smartly is that it did pivot away from JD, just because the way he's written in Gears 4 is like... The, the the thing when you when you have a character who has a chip on his shoulder about his dad and his dad seems distant, that story only really works if you don't inherently side with the dad and know literally all the shit he's gone through. And like that's a Marcus really Phoenix good point. is beloved. That's a like, really good point you make. Like to, to be to have dad issues against Marcus Phoenix is they're never gonna sell that. That's a really like, good point. And I'm not even saying Marcus Vedix was a great dad. We don't know their exact relationship, but but it's such a stacked deck because people love Marcus Vedix. Like it's one of um, uh, it's one of the like top Xbox characters is Marcus Phoenix. Um, and John DiMaggio, it's like one of his biggest voice performance career, and he's had a long and storied career. It's like, and when he shows back up, and he's like just trying to live his life and he gets pissed because you destroy his tomatoes. It's like, yeah, why would I like what JD's saying? He's such a pissant compared to fucking Marcus Phoenix. Um, and he's just, it, it's hard to 
connect to that character. And the story feels very slight. It feels like a prologue um, to the larger conflict. Uh, but this game, I think, sm- pivots smartly. Uh, Kat's a way more interesting character. Her conflicts with potentially being related to the Locust and their history is interesting. The story does interesting things with it. I got um, it. I got it on Game Pass. Yeah, it's really how, good. How have you uh, played it if you don't have Game Pass? Owning it? You bought Gears 5? Um, I think Kelsey bought it. Okay. Or it might have been Game Pass. I'm it may not have been sure. Kelsey's been Game Pass. Kelsey. I was going to say, because I was like, man, buying Gears 5, buying anything on Game Pass is a tough proposition. I'm <laughs> just saying. No, I mean, that's not untrue. Uh, but no, it's very good. And, and the game in general, again, this is one of my honorable mentions, but I think it, the, the thing that stopped us is I, it's a little weirdly paced because it's so linear and then you get to the open world part uh-huh. and then there's immediately an even bigger open world part after you get through the first open world part. And so it was kind of like, it's kind of like, um, Final Fantasy 13, that open world's a real momentum killer. Uh, but it's still super fun. Like it feels like it gets back to basics. The the combats are solid. The story is again really interesting. And you know it's one of those things where I need to go back to it. But of all the characters and all the games I played in 2019, Cat's uh, story was it had a solid through line. I cared about the character. Her relationships to her friends felt believable, and it was just really well written. Uh, so my favorite character uh, was Cat uh, Diaz. Awesome. Awesome. I think you're in. A, I think you're in uh, a lot of company with that choice. A lot of people have said that that character is really breaks out in that game. I liked her in four. Um, yeah. So that's awesome to hear that that she really it really goes where it needs to go. And I definitely have heard that it's a return to form. Um, how different mechanically does that game feel to four? Boy, you've played a lot recently. How how different? Uh, obvious reasons. How different does it feel mechanically to four? I've heard that it's with the open world and. And, and, you know, just it, everything. Honestly, it doesn't feel that wildly different. It feels like Gears. I mean, Gears is a very specific oh, yeah. type of Stop game. and pop, um, you know, what do you call it? Mechanical reload or whatever you call that strategic reload. What is that called? Uh, active reload. Active um, reload, Active yeah. reload. Um, very uh, roadie run. Um, weapons that are very heavy and punchy. I mean, I think that's kind of like the, the deal, what I think of. Yeah, it, I mean, it feels very similar. Like, the open world just adds, like, a skiff that you can travel around with, but the gunplay is very similar. It's just a matter of um, the the story being a lot better, and it, it introduces um, some new enemy types, and it's it's just fun. It, it just works. I mean, I, I don't want to – not to be repetitive. It's just Gears is Gears. Um and even 4, it's not like... Like, 4 was a game that I just found inconsequential, but still fun. Like, we enjoyed playing through it. I, I don't want to give the sense that 4 is a bad game. It's just... It felt on inconsequential. It's not like Halo 5, which fundamentally breaks things about the experience that you love. Um, all my fingers crossed that Infinite is good. <laughs> yeah. uh, but... Uh, yeah, it, no, it's fun. Like, if you enjoyed Gears 4, there's, like, no, nothing to suggest you wouldn't find 5 to be an, 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 a stellar experience. Awesome. Um, which I guess brings us to number two for me. Do it. Um, so, okay, 
Number three was tough because I had all these games and nothing that was passionate. My top two, though, are games I love unequivocally. They're, I think they're, I, I'm going to guess that number two is a surprise, except that it was teased a little bit earlier. Am I right? Um, I don't think so. Oh, Maybe. Okay, cool. We'll see. Um, my number two is it's a very uh, short game, but it gets in. It does what it wants to do, and it uh, is absolutely amazing. Uh, in every possible way. Um, my number two game of uh, 2019 is Untitled Goose Game. Oh, okay. Um, I Is it really that good? Yeah. I mean, listen, it's not... It's its own thing. And I think it is it is a unique, wild, very cutely animated comedy game where you, you play as a mischievous goose. Like, I didn't want to mention it earlier, but yeah, like I, <laughs> I honestly almost put the goose as my favorite character. Um, because oh. it's just this avatar of chaos, and it's so fun and liberating to not, just go but it's around. it's not hostile. It's like good-spirited fun. No, I mean, it's a goose. It's going to be kind of a dick, but it's not like it's trying to kill anybody. <laughs> it's fun to talk it's about. Just, I like talking it's, about it. Yeah, it's stealing hats and pulling chairs out and, like, ruining gardens. Spraying people with water and shit. Yeah, it is. Taking um, hats. Oh, you said that. Yeah, no, no, but I mean, it's a it's a brief game. I mean, we, you can beat it in like two hours, but then it also has like a checklist of like special achievements and like speed run things. So if you want to do more with the game, it's there. But like honestly, it's just a stellar short experience, and it's one of those like games, small indie games that obviously it took the gaming world by storm. Everyone was talking about the goose. People love the goose, um, and it, it was just a blast. Like. It's hard to elaborate on it other than to say it made me laugh. It was a blast to play with How my fiance. Um, probably about two, three hours. Oh, okay. And it's not hard? <clears throat> no. I mean, really, it's it, like basically the way it progresses is every area you get a checklist of things you have to do. You don't even have to do all of the things on the checklist to progress. You have to do like all but um, – you have to do – like if there's nine ta- – if there were like six tasks, you'd have to do five of them. But oh, okay. you, you, I, typically I would do all of them because – they're not that hard, and that's the fun of the game is well, puzzling them out. And also, you, you it's, it's a little bit like Hitman. Just slightly. Yeah. Just slightly. No, I mean, I mean enough that a lot of people were comparing. There were a lot of Hitman parodies for the Goose. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, that stealth aspect, the, the fun of figuring things out, um, and again, just it, it made us, it made me laugh. In, like, legitimately, it's just a fun game. It was such a unique game, um, and yeah, uh, Untitled Goose Game is my number two favorite game of 2019. Awesome. All right. I'm very surprised. I really thought you were going to say Outer Wilds. I was sure. That was on my short list and almost made it to number... That was almost my favorite story. Um, I just didn't quite finish it. Um and uh, but but I listen, you absolutely should play the Outer Wilds. It's it's a fantastic puzzle adventure game. It is again, it's wildly unique. Um, and I I love that game. But I, no, it it didn't quite make the list. Got it. Yeah, we'll we'll have to talk about that. I need to just play it. I'm like finally gonna bite down and play it. A lot of people that sounded weird. A lot of people leave it to me. It's got to say something weird, or the podcast is not complete. All right. Um, but that game. It has this thing where you where you walk like at the very beginning. And for people that don't know, Outer Wilds often confused with Outer Worlds, not because they look anything alike, but because or are anything alike, but because the name is stupidly similar. 
but Outer Wilds is an indie game. Um, it's made by a developer who worked on it as a labor of love for many years. Uh, got released on Game Pass and also on PC and maybe PS4. Maybe. I had a free um, E3 tie-in, too. Oh, I didn't know that. But um, Yeah, I got it for free for that reason. But anyway, go, sorry, go on. Oh, that's awesome. But yeah, so it is um, a game where you are a part of this alien race. You don't know who you are, but you're like kind of these cool, chill aliens. You're sitting around a fire, um, and uh, you walk into this town, and it teaches you like how to like explore space. And there's a little spaceship tutorial. There's a little like tool you get to use that helps you like see things and map things or whatever. And then all of a sudden, like you find some statue, and the statue um, makes time cycle. So it's a it's a game that you play in like 30 minute chunks, I think, or something. 22 minutes. 22 minute chunks, um, and that is all I know about it, except that I know that the game is all about discovery. You don't acquire items, you acquire knowledge. And as you acquire that knowledge, you have aha moments, left, right, center, up, down, and out the wazoo. And as you have these moments, you have this transcendental feeling like, oh my god, this is the best game I've ever played. And I haven't played it, but that's what I understand it to be. Am I on point? Yeah, I would say so. Um... It's a game about exploration. It's a game about using learning the cycle and learning how it affects the galaxy and learning where you need to be when. And um, it has a very intuitive, like, clue system so that you can always kind of keep track of what you're exploring and where you need to go in your journal. Without telling you ever. Yeah. Um, it's just it, – it's a beautifully made game, and it's 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 so much fun. Cool. So, see, that's the thing, though. Um I've heard you have to push through because I got to that part where you have to learn how to control the ship, and I was like, "Oh, this sucks." <laughs> yeah, the ship's janky. Yeah, the ship's definitely janky, but yeah. uh, it, it has its own way about it. Yeah, no, I've uh, this is this is what I've heard that if you just just get through that fucking ship, and you'll be good. Um, cool. Um, where does that leave us? Uh, what's uh, your number two? Awesome! Can't wait to talk about this one. So, for anybody that knows me, lots of things I like, right? Lots and lots of things. Love a good mystery, love a good twist, and I love a good narrative story game, and I love a motherfucking Metroidvania. And let me just tell you that Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is everything I wanted it to be. A hundred percent everything I wanted it to be. So my number two game is Ritual of the Night Bloodstained. So, for those who don't know, this game um, is a kickstarted game by the guy who made Castlevania Symphony of the Night, whose name is Koji Igarashi. He's a brilliant, I guess I would say, you know, gameplay developer, um, gameplay director. Um, he's the series producer, technically. Um, and this game is a series, spiritual successor to, uh, to Symphony of the Night and the whole Castlevania series. I mean, he really is the guy that invented, well, him, him and Metroid. That's why they call them Metroidvanias. Because Metroid sort of invented that concept of getting items to go through space, to go through areas you couldn't access before. But Castlevania was also kind of doing that from Simon's Quest on, and they kind of both developed in that direction. And nowadays, that's kind of the, the, what, what people call them, because both those games had that idea of gating areas and then letting you get new items as you progress that let you go back to areas you couldn't access before. Um, it successfully raised more than 5.5 million dollars from backers. 
Um, so it was a huge success in that way. But like with so many of these kickstarted games, it was delayed like a motherfucker. And it was starting to look really bad. They did a demo about a year before it launched. And people were like, uh-oh, this game looks broken. Um, and so they, they basically delayed it a year. And they said, all right, we're going to make it right. And they had to get more money. They had to get a new publishing partner involved and get an infusion of cash. And then they even brought in, I think, Way Forward, I think, is the one who came in to, like, get it over the top. Um, it was one of, those, one of those development companies that make, like, all the Metroidvanias. They actually had to come in and, like, help them finish it because it just wasn't done. And the idea wasn't to change the game when they came in. The idea was to take it... And, and, and basically take Igarashi's vision and fully realize it. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand about these great creators, the Kojimas, the Igarashis, the all, all these um who's the one who's the one who did Mighty Number no. Nine? Inafune? Yeah, I think so, maybe. Um, yeah. But all of these really great creators, like they're really great, don't get me wrong. But they also have tremendous teams behind them. You know, game development is a team sport. And so when you go out on your own and you try to make these games, you know, yourself and, and with a small budget and just bring together, like, a disparate group of folks to make your game, like, it's just not easy. Um, you know, anybody that understands Team Ninja, although they've really come back with Neo, but, I mean, just look at Team Ninja uh, and, and Ninja Gaiden 3 and what that game was like, you know, versus Ninja Gaiden 2. So, you know, it, it you know when you're an auteur developer... There's a lot to that, and it is very important to have a singular voice in games, but it's such a team sport that, that, that a lot of that other stuff comes in. So anyway, I was very worried about this game at a certain point, and then it came out, and I had another problem. So the regular version of it on PC, on PS4, and on Xbox, and this is not a visually demanding game, mind you, but th those versions went, were, played really well. But on the Switch, the fucker is janky. And when I say janky, like... 0.86 seconds of input lag janky. Like, it's broken. Um, and and I bought the Switch version and I couldn't play it. Like, I was like, I, I, I was trying to play it and I, I, like, the input lag was driving me personally crazy. Some people it doesn't bother as much. It bothered me like I couldn't stand it. So I was like, well, I gotta do something. So I actually called Nintendo, told them this game is basically unplayable. I exaggerated because maybe some people think it's playable. I think it's unplayable. So this game is unplayable. Here's a website that talks about how unplayable it is. Like, I want a refund. And they said, we never do refunds, but under these circumstances, we'll give you a refund. So I got Nintendo to give me a refund. They did. I went right onto my PS4, or no, my Xbox. I went right onto my Xbox, downloaded that motherfucker, and then all of a sudden, number two best game of the year. Um, it is so fun. It makes you remember everything that you love about Castlevania. The character is fantastic. Zangetsu is like this sort of like, uh, I would call it a deuteragonist, I think is what you call it. Um, mm -hmm. When you have like a, another story that's going on at the same time and it's kind of, it's not an antagonist, they're kind of on your side. Anyway, um, Zangetsu is awesome. There's a really good villain. There's a really good story. Um, it's very simple. You know, it's not trying to reinvent the wheel. Um, the, the powers, the weapons, the items there's quests in it a la simon's quest i mean it's just so much fun there's even like these 
almost mode seven looking scaling areas. It's just it's just rad. The game is really fun to play. Um, I love each time I would get to a new area and get to start to explore it and get to see all the new monsters and enemies and weapons I would find and then get to play the game in an all-new way. And yeah, I could level criticisms at it. It's a little weird when you get to the clock tower and there's all kinds of pictures on the wall that fly off to, to attack you and they're like backer's pictures. <laughs> so they look, <laughs> so they, they look like a dude like in front of his computer, but it's in like a you know Victorian castle. you know, And it's a little bit jarring. Don't get me wrong, but you know, hey, par for the courts with a with a uh, a backer um, reward situation. And you know, yeah, there's this scaling section where you you're you're going up a castle and fighting a dragon that's super cool, and you're like rotating around at 360 degrees, and it's awesome when you're fighting the dragon. But later, when you have to go out into that section and try to like get the items that you have to do like a double jump glide to. Like it just it's just kind of janky. So there's lots of little jankiness in that game, even once you get past the input lag. But as an overall experience, and what I enjoyed this past year the most, and that's what I really rate my games on, is straight up enjoyment. Um, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is definitely the, the game I enjoyed the second most this past year. So it's my number two. Very nice. Did you play? Um, it? I did. It, it didn't blow me away. I think it, it is solid. Like for me, it didn't quite hit the way it needed to, but it, a part of it was also, it's like, it does cast, it does Metroidvania things, but it didn't feel like it was, it didn't bring a lot new to the table. It was solidly fun. Uh, it just, you know, it, it didn't, um, and maybe I wasn't like dying for one because there have been a lot in the past couple of years, but yeah, the, like, I, like, <laughs> like hollow Knight, which is, you know, mind blowingly good. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but I really enjoyed it, and I think it is a worthy game to be high on the list because, if nothing else, it's like of all the Kickstarter games, it's it's one of the most successful to come out and actually be good. So there's that. There you go. Um, but there yeah, no, many. it's a very good. Game. There aren't many. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, but yeah, okay. All right, next up, we're gonna go as we always do from high to low before we take it home with our number one. Uh, Rich, what is your most surprising game of uh, 2019? So, my most surprising game of 2019, this is going to be very, 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 very surprising. Um, Apple Arcade came out in 2019. And Apple Arcade is fucking awesome. I know all the Android users out there are going to just like tune out the minute I say that. Um, I think Android has their own version of it or something. But anyway, Apple Arcade is awesome. I'm really into, this, as you can see, my, my sort of trend of 2019 is Netflix of gaming, right? I love the idea of being able to play all kinds of games that I wouldn't normally play. Because honestly, and I think if anybody like evaluated my gaming habits, they would say, I've got range, but I don't have like tremendous range in terms of like, I don't play a lot of strategy, I always call it strategy games. I don't play a lot of tactical games. I don't play any sports games. So there's lots of genres, not that I want to, but there's lots of genres that I just don't touch that much. Um, puzzle games. I love them when I play them, but I don't play them that much. I don't seek them that much. So I love when a Game Pass or a Apple Arcade type of situation comes along and shakes me out of my malaise and lets me try out things I wouldn't normally try. Um, I've gotten to the point where with mobile gaming where I don't even fuck around with it because <clears throat> microtransactions, and I don't want to sound boring and, and lame talking about microtransactions, but simply put, they make games unplayable. Um, and Apple Arcade has a way around that. You pay $5 a month, and every game has no microtransactions and is free to download. 
And so you get games like Grindstone. And even for those who don't have Apple Arcade, you've probably heard of this game. This is an amazing sort of, you know, match colors puzzle game, but it does it in this remarkable way. So what you do in this game is you're this little dude, um, and uh, you've got like a like an axe, and it's really grizzled, and it's got like a very like visceral art style, where like you're you have this big meaty axe, and you're this 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 dude. I think your name is Jord, and you and you are like Viking looking kind of. And then there's all these little monsters of different colors, of course, and you draw a line through the monsters and connect the monsters up. And then your dude, and then once you stop the line and hit go, your dude starts taking his axe and just slaying a line through all the all the monsters. It feels really good. But the idea is to get a long chain going. And if you get a long chain going, you eventually earn a gem. And then if you do that, a gem pops up on the board in a random place. And then the next time you go to make a line by tearing through monsters, you can use the gem to link two uh, different colors of monsters together. So... It, it basically, uh, long story short, it's 150 genius levels of this kind of uh, color-matching gem gameplay with this amazing theme. Plus, there's power-ups in the store, and there's all kinds of items and cool shit that you can get. And dude, it's like it's like a game that was made for mo- microtransactions and everything's free. Can you imagine how good that would feel? And that's pretty nice. That's what it was like. And a lot of games on Apple Arcade are like that, but none more than Grindstone. So this game had its moment last year for a couple months where it's like all anybody would talk about when it came to mobile gaming. And you even started hearing about it on gaming podcasts because it's that good. But the most surprising to me was A, that I was into a mobile game this much, and B, um, that that game is called Grindstone and is a puzzle game on Apple Arcade. <laughs> so that was my surprise. Very nice. I think that's a clear winner. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so... Uh, for me, this one was uh, – I won't go too long on this one since we kind of already mentioned it. But my most surprising game was Outer Wilds. Um, I had real no – I had no real conception of what it was. I remember and, – and I specifically mentioned it was like if you watched – I forget what it was. It was something like – it was one of those games where if you watched E3 coverage through the Xbox, you, they, you got this game for free. Ah, okay. That's um, cool. And this was, like, way before it came out. So it was just kind of there. It, like, sat as, like, an icon or something in my my inbox or in my my library. But then it became available. Um, And I really had no idea what to expect. I knew the general concept of, like, a world that restarts every 22 minutes and you're an explorer. I knew that. But I was like, okay, this could be interesting. And so I just – when it became available, I started playing it. And like I mentioned before, it, it blew me away with how inventive it was how fun exploring this galaxy was my i mean yes the ship the spaceship's kind of janky um it reminded me of and i forget the title but there's this and it's not even very close but there's a sega genesis game where you play as like a um a mining ship and you can just set your coordinates to anywhere in the universe and it will take you and like every player coordinates has a specific planet you can go there and you can mine stuff but then <clears throat> throughout this entire galaxy there are certain coordinates and you can get the hints to them where there are these plot bits that like would relate back to this ancient alien and that's kind of what this game is on a much more compact and focused scale of like you're trying to figure out who these ancient peoples are and why they came here and what the deal with your galaxy is and why does the planet uh keep resetting every 22 minutes and it's just 
it's just such a, a fun open world experience because you can really go wherever you want from the start. There there are planets that are like clearly harder to navigate and it's kind of like there are easier planets to go visit, but it's like it's up to you. It really is open to just go find things and start solving these puzzles and things you find on one planet might help you solve a puzzle on another planet or like translate this language and it's just so much fun um and it came out of nowhere. It really did. Um so, yeah, that was my most surprising t- game of uh, 2019. And, and surprising in that it just showed up. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's this? Um, I could, similarly, on, on a similar note, except I, I ended up not liking the game as much as I wanted to, was Cadence of Hyrule. Um, I don't know if there was a more hype game announcement for me last year than that suddenly existing. Uh, but the game itself was just a little kind of, it was fine. It was fun. It just wasn't. It, it, it was, eh, you know, it was there. Really? Yeah, it's very fun. It's just very short, and it's not that challenging. Did you finish it? I did. Yeah. Oh wow! Isn't that thing like twenty five bucks? Uh, I think it was twenty. I don't know. It was, I, I'm it was not mad. I bought it. What it was? Yeah. Go ahead. I, I like I the love, in, indie aspect of it, though. Yeah, and I love Necrodancer. I think it was my game. I think it made my top three list one year. So I remember you uh, being all about it. Yeah. It's not as good as the original Necrodancer, but it's a very, very good um, Zelda spinoff. But uh, so that was my most surprising. Uh, now we're going to go to the most disappointing. I got to tell you, man, I had like 15 games I could put here. <laughs> it, it, it's crazy. Yeah. No, I, I was in a similar place. <laughs> I picked uh, four. Um, am I up first? I uh, know me first. Go for it. Um. So, uh, like, but kind of like you, I had a lot where it was just like, you know, I mean, let me just run over my list a few of the ones. Um, yeah, again, more, more, it was more that I wouldn't say I was disappointed. I just wasn't blown away. Mm. Um, That makes it disappointing though. So like it, I I would say, I would say to be disappointing, it's, it's less good than you thought it would be. Period. Sure. But I mean, I wouldn't even say some of these games aren't good. Just that I wasn't. They 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 grabbed me again. It's like I said, while I was playing some of these games that are in my honorable mentions list, I I had a blast. It's just they they went away so fast afterwards. Wait, but there were a couple of games. Okay, go ahead. That even as I was playing them, I was like, this just isn't that good. And so uh, I have two. I'm going to mention one that that was less. What Kingdom Hearts three is arguably what should be here, except I went back to it and I had a lot of fun finishing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately the problem with that game is that it's just it's just not as fun as Kingdom Hearts 2 and you want the mainline entry to be that fun and I just feel like the combat puts so many bells and whistles on top of things <coughs> excuse me and it's it's just all this noise and and crashing and it's like whatever the actual gameplay doesn't really get challenging until the very end um, and I've heard that, like, the DLC, the Remind DLC makes it really super hard again. Um, but I'm like, that's such a jump. And, like, I like that Kingdom Hearts 2, like, the first two Kingdom Hearts, really all the Kingdom Hearts, are games where you will probably lose some boss fights a couple times before you figure it out. And you have to have good timing and good uh, either blocking or dodging, depending on which game you're playing. Kingdom Hearts 3, you really don't. Um, I can count the times I lost legitimately to boss fights on like one hand and and it just was sort of like there um but ultimately when i when i stopped playing it so close to the other kingdom hearts when i just let myself 
I mean, also the story's nonsense, but I mean, that's Kingdom Hearts at this point. Yeah. Um, and I it's kind of it when I asked you if, you if do you find out what's in the box, and you were just like, no, that's that's the next thing. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's oh set up God. for the next game. Um, <laughs> Which they say they're hoping to develop much faster, and I get that sense. Because the thing with Kingdom Hearts 3 is it it has the marquee Disney worlds. But I, I'm always torn because it's like you play some of the spinoffs and it's like, man, these are the lame Disney worlds. But then every once in a while they'll be like, yeah, but this is such a cool Disney world because I personally connect to that. Mm. And they do weird things in the spinoffs. And so like I want to see them do weirder worlds again. And um, part of my disappointment was just because it was so everything is announced and there, none of the worlds seemed particularly thrilling. Um, but overall, it's still fun. I had a good time finishing it. And it's almost audacious how seriously Nomura was like, no, no, every spinoff matters when you get to the conclusion of that game. Um, just with the way things happen. So it's almost worth it for the spectacle of that alone. But um, even though that maybe I honestly be- think... I honestly think as crazy as it gets, the story is, like, kind of okay until Dream Drop. I think Dream Drop, going through all the previous games, I think Dream Drop is where that story just gets fucking ridiculous. Like, that, I mean, the story is fucking ridiculous. Okay, I, should, I take that back. Just saying, and I knew it was wrong. The story is fucking ridiculous as of Kingdom Hearts 2. But, by the time it gets to Dream Drop and time travel comes in, I'm done. Because Dream Drop is the game in that series that decides to retcon the most. Do you know what I mean? That's oh, the yeah. game where they decide, yeah. okay, we're going to change the, your core understanding of Kingdom Hearts 1. Like, And that's where I'm just like, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know about – that's not a great idea. We uh, we destroyed Organization 13 too early. We're going to fix that. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly <laughs> um, it. You nailed it. That's it. Uh, but, okay, so here's the thing. My actual most disappointing game, um, the thing with hype is that – and I've been guilty of this. When you love something and it seems to come out of nowhere and it's a surprise, you can oversell it. And you can you can really hype it up. And then when the people who get hyped check it out, it can be disappointing. And if it's something they might not have liked anyway, it can seem even more. And you can just find yourself being like, I don't – I like violently do not get it. Um, and I want to get it. And I, I, even re- I even played more of this game last night because I was like – I don't want to put it here, but every time I play Control, it's like it actively wants me to stop playing it. I just cannot vibe with this game. That is so However weird. much I've tried. The gameplay is so unintuitive and not fun. I've fiddled with the like the the settings. I've tried to like change the aim sensitivities. And it's like it, drawing a target is is a miserable experience. The over-reliance of these enemies on these rockets that just nuke you and you die so easily in that game. And the story, I I like I feel like if I, I – that's what I keep telling myself. I'm like if I get a little further. But so much of it is relegated to those logs that are half blacked out most of the time anyway. Wow. It's like I get the sense of a mystery – and I kind of want to know more, but every time I play it, I'm just immediately like, God, I die a lot in this game. God, the enemies are brutal. God, it's so obtuse. That's and weird. I never want to hear you make fun of Spider-Man Edge of Time again and how much I like that game. Because this is a game that takes place in one building, too. Yeah, and it it's a pretty bland office building. I guess it does, take place. It does take place in one building. That's true. Um, but it, it's a building that's ever-changing, though, and evolving, you see. 
I don't know. You're right. I got no case um, on that one. But uh, um, yeah, no, I just you wouldn't even uh, know I, if it's one building only though because you've only gotten what three hours in. I yeah, I keep going forward and I keep going through like sectors of the building and I meet a new person and they're like, here, go on this mission and I do it and you know get a new power and it's like I feel like maybe that game gets better the more powers you get because the gunplay is just garbage well it's a it's a powers game like the gunplay the gunplay isn't garbage it's just that i mean it's fair if you have that opinion but you know it's just that it's mainly a powers game like you 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 the main thing i did in that game was pick up shit and throw it at enemies and then there are enemies that can dodge and then in that case you got to try other things but and that's really it but but it's it just running around and how frenetic it gets and fun i just think somehow you just missing it like, I don't know. I almost feel like that's on PS4, your copy, or Xbox? Yeah, PS4. Maybe we have to do share play. And I just want to see this. I got to see this. I got to I see just, I, I find it to be so, I'm always low on health, and the, the health pickups are so minimal. It's like, once you're fighting a boss, if that boss can, like, two-shot you and you've killed all the minions, it's like, well... I'm hiding behind this pillar and occasionally peeking out to try to sew some, throw something, and, and oops, his projectile just killed me anyway. How does health regen in that game? I forget. When you kill enemies, they drop blue dots, and you absorb the blue dots. No, there's those... got to be another way. There's no, like, there's no auto-healing. I got. I got to look at it. I got to look at it. We got to. We got to share play or something because I can't. I can't let this go down. It's my number three game, man. I can't let. I that know. Happen. Listen, I don't want it to be there. It's like I said. This is not. I. It's with a heavy heart that I do this because I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna go back to it. It's not like I'm gonna stop playing it. But like every time, I've been like, you know, it. It's just. It feels like the worst any game of theirs has ever played. That's so to me. weird, man. I. Have, I totally don't feel that way. That's interesting. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Quantum Break was f- great. It's, it wasn't. But I just don't remember having this level of issue with it. And maybe it is that they took out Regenerating Health. Maybe. I don't know what it is. It's just... Hmm. Yeah, we'll have to... It, we'll, to, I, be, to I, be continued. Slam yeah. against... Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's my most disappointing game. But I want to change. I want to, like... <laughs> I've got to keep playing it. I bought it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's, I hope I hope it gets better, but yeah, for now it's my most disappointing well, game, unfortunately. When I get Foundation and AWE, I'm gonna get back into it hardcore, and then maybe I'll have some more like recent tips to share, especially coming from like hearing exactly what you have to say about it. So that'll be- yeah, and I mean, Rich could tell you like I I called you specifically. I was this like, I how was do I how do I have fun? Yeah, yeah. When I said that we had an interesting interchange about this. Because um, we yeah. have, this, I have this thing that I always do with Jordan, where I'll call him and ask him like, "What's wrong? Why am I not getting into this?" I recently had that with um, Final Fantasy VII Remake, because that first boss, and now I'm further in that game, and I get it. That first boss just is brutal. You may not have had that experience, Jordan, but for me, trying to figure out how to do the first boss in Final Fantasy VII Remake, you really there is no right way to do that boss. You just don't have that much shit yet. And so they just like so so all the shit that makes that game like more manageable, you get it later. So like that fight, you just got to go through it and use a bunch of potions and just suck it up that you're taking damage. And then you're right to, to an extent that game as you play through it, you just you are it, it is a game where you know there is no perfect way to play it where you're always avoiding damage. It's a constant like your health's going down, you pull your health back up, you fight the enemy kind of thing. It isn't like a very strategic game in that way. It's not like precise strategy. It's more like tides of battle strategy. Anyway, we could talk about that forever. Yeah. But but uh, it's but 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 you know I had that experience calling you about that. 
I've called you about a bunch of other stuff, and you were like, I need to return the favor. What the fuck's up with control? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's that's kind of how that, how that went. All right, cool. Am I up, or do you have more? You are. What's uh, your most disappointing game? So I have four. Um, <laughs> I have to try to pick. I'm going to go through them quickly. Sword and Shield. Um, I'm still going to play that this year, probably before COVID is through. Um, but I bounced off of it the first time. I took spent about three, four hours on it, and... I just, I don't know, I wasn't in the mood. I don't know, what's up? And then I have people like Tim telling me, like, it's just not very good. And then I, I think, what did you tell me about it? What did you think of it? I think it's solid. I think I think with Pokemon, and I've said this before, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this is one of my honorable mentions because it was one of the games where I really enjoyed playing it while I was playing it. And, um, you know, I'm, I am excited for the DLC next month, but, you know. When, you gonna play it? Uh, like, get it and play it, like, hardcore? Yeah, yeah, I'll play it. Um... My big thing with Pokemon is I think when they make a huge technological leap, Mm -hmm. there's always a generation that is like, this is the generation where we're just figuring out what we're doing. And they introduce a lot of cool new things, but it's all on the whole just a bit more ramshackle. I felt that way about um, X and Y, which I felt was very bare bones. And I felt that way about this one. And I, I say that, yes, I'm someone who wants Pokemon to have a good story. And I know that's not always the main focus, but I feel like Black and White is so good because it does the story well. And I feel like um, Sun and Moon did a pretty fun story. I love Sun and Moon. Um, and Shield, Sword and Shield just kind of hits a lot of the same beats. And it's just, you know, it's fine. And I felt yeah. that way. I was like, this is fine, but it's not my favorite Pokemon game by, by a mile. Right. So anyway, I'm going to get back to that, and I may it may get scratched from this list once I get further, but for now, I just got to that wild area, and I was like, wow, this this there's this area with all these cool Pokemon, and I literally am not allowed to catch them. Not even a one in a hundred chance maybe you can catch one. Nope, you can't. And it's just like, why is this even here? Like, just put the Pokemon in the area where I'm appropriate to see them, because otherwise it's just pointless. Anyway, I don't love the wild area so far. I'm hoping it grows on me. All right. It feels like a prototype. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bor- Borderlands 3, again, I played about four or five hours of it. Um, I just don't think I was in the mood. And it isn't as good as 2. You know, both those reasons, yeah. it disappointed me a bit. I'll get back to it. I'm sure it's good. It gets better as you go. Yeah, and that's the thing. I just haven't gone far enough in it. Um, um, now I got some heavy hitters. <laughs> Number one, the heavy hitter of all heavy hitters, Anthem. Um, that was last year, right? Yeah, I believe so. So, Anthem is not actually that bad of a game, but it is so lambasted for the fact that it's just not... They, they That game was made in about a year. If you listen to it, like, like Jason Schreier talk about it, essentially they rebooted the game a year before it came out because it was just... They did so many false starts, and they tried so hard to figure out what the identity of that game was going to be that they stripped out everything awesome about Mass Effect. Oh, by the way, side note, I finished Mass Effect 3. Nice, yeah. yeah. You yeah. told me that already. But, I know. But well, well done. Right, it has to be announced for the podcast crowd. Um, I finally finished Mass Effect 3 here during COVID. Which is, Did you like the ending? Did you? How'd you feel about fine. it? It was fine. Mass Effect 2 is triumphant. Mass Effect 1 is really awesome. Mass Effect 3 is pretty good. You know, um, yeah. I mean, it's just not as good as two. Two is just so much better in every way. I like everything about two better, but three is good. I had fun with it. I was glad to finish it off. Um, 
Plus, I played it years and years and years later. When now, I mean, that's you know, it just is what it is. And now games are you know in a lot of areas have stolen a lot of the shit that makes Mass Effect great. So there's there's a there's a whole lot you can say about all of that. But sure. overall, um, really good, enjoyable experience. Finally finishing that out. But all the things we love about Bioware games are not really in Anthem. You know, the, the 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 story, the characters, the getting to know people, all that. There's a little bit in that main town, but not really. There's mad loading screens to get to different areas. I don't want to. I don't want to sort of you know re- relitigate this. Everybody knows Anthem was a flaming bomb disappointment. I'm waiting for the re- reboot because the word on the street is they're they're planning a um, No Man's Sky esque re- return to form, where they're going to bring it or or a or a Realm Reborn type of situation, where they're going to just basically redo the whole game and re-release it. Um, and try to like get win everybody back. So we'll see what, how that turns out. I hope it turns out well because this is one of those games that you remember when they were showing off that trailer. I was losing my mind. You remember that? Yeah. And oh, I, I do. Like, oh my god, this looks so good. And you you're flying in an Iron Man mech, which I could you know that's cool. And then you go underwater and then come back up and it's seamless and it's like Destiny, but in that kind of I mean it just looked amazing and it just doesn't just doesn't deliver on those on that promise and and all of that. And the end game's dead. So that's uh, the one that everybody would agree was disappointing. But for me, my biggest disappointing game was Man of Medan. Um, this oh, is wow. yeah, this is the Dark Pictures anthology, um, and uh, Dark Pictures anthology, if you don't know, is the follow-up, the the good follow-up, I should say, to Until Dawn, which is one of the best story-based, decision-based adventure games I've ever played. That game is remarkable. Um, it's got Hayden Panettiere in it. It's got my main man Brett in it. Um, it's got so many people that it's just a fantastic. Rami Malik. Rami Malik is in that motherfucker. I mean, it is. It's got a great twist that yeah, you probably saw it coming, but still, it's amazing. I didn't actually. Um, I was shocked and loved it, and it's just it's everything you love about like a a schlocky teen horror pick, and it's a game and it's interactive and and it's just great. So that that was awesome. They followed that up with like a weird thing um like they did like a until dawn rush of blood like vr shooter which was dumb as hell then they did like the patient or something it was called i don't even know and it was like a a 1960s spinoff of until dawn it was just a mess and i think that was vr only also believe it or not um and then they came out with this other weird thing called um uh, you remember that one? It was for like PlayStation something. You know what I'm talking about? And it was like a, hold on. Where you like? It was supposed to be the party play great yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know. Exactly. I forget the name, but exactly. Um, and so there was one of those hidden agenda. I think was it hidden? Ag- no, it maybe it was. I think it was. Let me see. Um. 2017 video game. Yep, Hidden Agenda. And it's about a serial killer, and it's an interactive game, and it's supposed to be that play-everywhere thing. It was terrible. I mean, it's terrible, right? So they just bomb after bomb after bomb. So they're like, alright, we gotta, like, regroup here. They're independent now. The, the Until Dawn was, was released with PlayStation, but they've decided to go multi-platform and independent. So they released this game, which is going to be the first in this series of games, much like a Tales from the Crypt kind of anthology series type thing, where each game would be like five, six, seven hours, and it would tie in with like an overarching storyteller guy. In this case, he's the curator, and he curates this library of tales of horror. Um, well, the first one... Um, it was going to be like a five-hour experience, um, 
And it's set on a boat, a haunted boat. And it's just like, dude, that doesn't sound like a great idea, but okay. So it's like these these teens, and they're off like looking for a shipwreck. They find this shipwreck. It leads them to a haunted boat, and then they get kidnapped by gold hunters, and then some haunted, fucked-up shit happens on the boat. Even that, I was like, all right, I'm in. So I went over to Tim's house, and we played it over the course of two nights. And simply put, it was fine. It was fun. But it just was like, I, I didn't even know where I was. My eyes were starting to close, and I was like, wait, are we in the same room we were just in? Or are we in a different room? The whole thing is a bunch of, like, metal corridors in this big ship, and you don't even know where you are. Like, it's just, it's just, it's so promising, and it just doesn't fulfill the promise. So, Man of Medan, it's just unfortunate. Now, the new one that's coming out um, is called Little Hope. And it's, that one's about, like, witchcraft in a Boston town, and it looks like it might be a little bit better. Um, I hope it's way better, because I don't think that Man of Medan did well, and I really want this idea to continue, because I think it's a very promising concept. So I was very disappointed by it, but also I have a lot of hope for the future. So my most disappointing, with a, with a, with a asterisk, because I hope for the future, is Man of Medan. I think, you know, that's fair, and I, I think... I think there's every reason to hope the next one's good. Now, I haven't played Man of Medan yet. I still would like to. Yeah, it's worth playing. Um, the thing with anthologies, it's like sometimes you get really good ones and sometimes you get bad ones. And hope it sucks that they started on a rougher one. But uh, I would, I, I hope, I hope it gets better because I like, I love Until Dawn. Oh, so good. When did you end up playing it? Was it like close to launch or? Uh, no, it was like last year. I finally played through it. Yeah. Uh, it was another one of the share play games we did. Yeah, that game is amazing. Um. So, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed um, Until Dawn, and I, I want to play Man of Medan. Even, I, that's been the general consensus, is that it's kind of disappointing, but, you know. Worth playing. Um, all right, which uh, next up is going to be the worst game of 2019. Is that me again, or is it you? That is, back to, that is you, yeah. Um, so this one could have easily gone in most disappointing and probably belongs there. Because I didn't like have a horrible time all the way through, but I think I'm going to call it the worst because of how disappointing it was. And that's Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. Mm. Did you play it? I did, yeah. Yeah, so did Tim. Um, this game is just... It, it, it makes You know why it's so bad? Because it makes me question if I ever liked a Marvel Ultimate Alliance game or if I was on drugs or something. Like, that's that's how bad it feels to play this game. I play it, and, and it just the core gameplay doesn't feel right, is the thing. It doesn't have that punchiness to it. And that's why I say the on-drugs thing, not actual drugs, but, like, nostalgia. You know, maybe was I back then thinking, like... Maybe games felt punchier to me that really weren't punchy, or maybe I was more forgiving back then, or maybe, you know, I don't know what, but I just feel like I remember playing Marvel Ultimate Alliance 1, which was always my favorite, and I remember that that game, like, really felt solid, and I even like the X-Men Ultimate Alliance games, too, or is that what they were called, or X-Men... Um Legends. Legends. I liked both of those games a lot, and then the Ultimate Alliance games, one was really good, two was getting a little bit worse... But I, I just – when I played this game, everything is in there in the kitchen sink, and there's tons of characters, and they all feel the same. They don't feel different. They don't feel mechanically significantly different. 
and it just isn't fun, and the story is is just like bare bones. And the other problem too is when Marvel Ultimate Alliance was out, there was no MCU, so we didn't have this awesome fantasy team up on the screen done so much better back then. So back then, that's what you had, and it was like, this is awesome. All the characters are teaming up. Now it's like, I've already seen that done way better story-wise. So the only way you can win me over is with really fun, satisfying gameplay. And then the other thing is, it doesn't have satisfying leveling. So like, as you play it, you get new characters, and then you don't want to use them, because to use them, you would have to power them up. And, and, and level them up. There's no, like, everybody, when you get them, is on the level where your characters are. They're, like, back at one. So you'd have to fully re-level them all. And I think it was some kind of, like, I don't know, play for microtransactions, because you can actually buy, like, level-up potions or whatever for them. But it's just, in so many ways, it's just so disappointing. The worst of which is, mechanically and then RPG-wise, the game just doesn't have depth. And that is why it's the worst game for me, mainly because of how disappointed I was. It, uh, yeah, I, I, to me, I think the biggest thing wrong with it was that it was a Switch exclusive. Um, by virtue, and maybe not the biggest thing, but I think that it is a Switch exclusive. It's like, it's just not, the Switch isn't built for four player, multiplayer, online gaming. Mm-mm. Um, and like, that is, I think, I think the original Ultimate Alliance did a really good job having RPG elements and was a fun game. And granted, I haven't played it in like 10 years. Right, but exactly. I think what also really works is that Ultimate Alliance hit at the perfect time where it was – there was a while where it was like one of the only real options on the 360 for multiplayer online gaming. Um, it was the game. I played it with – it's one of the first games I remember playing extensively online with friends. Um because it was right there at launch. It kind of came out because it was on PS2 and Xbox as well. It came out. You play with your friends. It was super fun to go through the campaign. Um, and yeah, 2 wasn't as good. But even by then, multiplayer gaming had started to evolve. And there were just so many more options. And especially now, I think for it to have had a chance, it would have had to have been on 360 or PS4 just by virtue – or 1 or PS4. By virtue of it, it – the, the, the thing that would boost that game is playing it with a friend. And even if it wasn't as good to play as some of the older games, you could at least be chatting and, and having a good time together. I think it also did a really bad job of, like, it locks you out of abilities for so long. Because um, it's, like, level 5 before you get your first special ability, and then level 10. And it's not until level 20 that you have all four of your special abilities. Yep. So everyone plays super samey until then. And even um, then, it's not that dramatic. Yeah, it's, it, you know, you can have your favorites. Um, I've heard that game has gotten better. Like, the the DLC has actually added a lot. In what way? Uh, in terms of, like, content and variety and, um, like, new, new chapters. I, I mean, I haven't followed it too closely. Like, I played it for a while at launch, and I was like, okay, this is, it's just not that fun to play. Right. So it was definitely a disappointing game for me. It just wasn't, I didn't have high hopes for it. It was more I got it because... I just wanted something to play. Yeah. And yeah, it's just kind of it. So I I get it. I I think that is a a good one. For sure. All right. Does that take Uh, us to your worst? That takes us to my worst. All right. What do you got? Um, So I'll be doing my worst and my number one back to back. So it's a very big gulf. But uh, so the thing about game design 
that I <laughs> always, always find. Know, we always know shit's about to hit hit the fan when you start breaking out with. Well, the thing about <laughs> we both do it. We both do it. Go we ahead. do. Well, I think the thing that's interesting is how the smallest tweaks can change something so fundamentally. Okay. Um, the example I always go back to, and I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it here before, is if you look at the Resident Evil 4 demo disc that was released like a month before the game actually was like finished and mass- and went gold, um, in that, you still had to equip your knife separate from your guns. It wasn't like a dedicated shoulder button. And it's such a small thing. But when you think about Resident Evil 4, being able to whip out that knife and slash its stuff is part of what makes it work. Okay. Um, and that's like a small tweak that came right at the end. And so I think with, with certain games, if they're, say, one of your favorite video games ever made, all of the idiosyncrasies, even the weird stuff – adds up to make it so good. And when you start messing with that formula, because you're trying to court a Western audience by giving, you know, things that are specific to a Western audience, uh, you can lose what makes the game great. As I've said before, um, when it comes to pure gameplay and it jockeys with persona four earth defense force five is my favorite video game ever made. (laughs) I was wondering when I love going to come up. Okay. I love Earth Defense Force. It's number um, five. That's the one. Earth Defense Force five is what they're up to. Yeah, but I loved I loved 2017. I loved 2025, and I've loved five. And I feel like in the main line where it's the original team, they've managed to evolve the game in some pretty satisfactory ways. Um, five was my favorite game of 2018. And even some of the people who I am friends, like Kelsey, who thinks they're so janky, was like, this is actually a good game for once, which I think is slanderous. But they've evolved the main game enough that it gets its point across and is super fun uh, to a wider amount of people. And those quality of life things have made it so much better. But it's still not a game that has a huge audience outside of Japan. And so they've in the past tried with Insect Armageddon back in, like, I want to say 2010. 2011. 2011. Two make it more accessible. And Insect Armageddon is not a very good game. It's, it's janky. And the big things they always do are they, they up the graphical fidelity um, and they add customization and they try to like, just make it, these are the things Americans want. Um, And even though it's a different developer than who made Insect Armageddon, dang, if they didn't make all the same mistakes again with my worst game of the year, Earth Defense Force Iron Rain. Is it really that bad? Come on. Compared to the rest of my list of games that are, you know, fine, yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, I'm still only to level 13 of that game, and I've come back to it a couple times. It just, again, it's those small changes. The biggest is, yeah, they go for, like, higher quality models. The problem with doing that is Earth Defense Force is a game built around having, like, 100 tarantulas and ants and giant frogmen and spaceships on screen and just mass chaos and frame rate dropping. This game does that with like, you know, a couple dozen enemies that come in waves. Um, it's, it's unsatisfying combat. Like it, it's hard to explain without playing it, why it's so much worse, but the, it, the guns just aren't great. The like special power up system is kind of nonsensical. It gives it this, overwrought anime story almost 
but it tries to play it more serious. And that was the thing that Insect Armageddon did, where they're like, we got to play this more straight because that's what the people want. But it's not. Like, what makes the Earth Defense Force games great is how cheesy and ridiculous the dialogue and the narrative is. And it's why every Earth Defense Force game in the main series has, like, a really stupid quote that has stuck with me. Um, there's nothing like that in um, Iron Rain. It's just – it tries to play it too much like a, a standard shooter. It's really annoying trying to pick up collectibles. Um, the sh- the guns are, are just aren't pleasant. There are some cool things like there's a there's a I forget the exact name, but it's basically like a beast rider class who can summon an insect to ride around and fight with. Who also gets a grappling hook. And granted, that was super fun when we unlocked that class and could grappling hook around the city. That was pretty fun. But it just it's cardinal sin is it takes everything that the fans of the series love, gets rid of them and replaces them with things with doesn't really court anybody. I mean, this game didn't get a physical release. I don't think it sold that well. Nobody's talking about it. Why do they do it? Why do they even bother? (coughs) Will you tell me, like, why Insect Armageddon came out? And then then after that happened, and then they went back to EDF, normal, and and the normal developers, why did they once again take a stab at this? When I saw this was coming out, I was like, why is that happening? None of them sell here that well. No. What are they doing? I think I mean it's an attempt to get a bigger audience. It's an attempt to draw, and I don't know why. It's not like they're heavily advertised. They, they just kind of drop onto the store. Um, I think it's more maybe they get approached. Maybe they they have the because again, the main team's still making like Earth Defense Force Six will happen at some point, and it'll probably be amazing. And it'll probably become my new favorite game of all time. Um, Wait, five is now your new favorite game of all time? Yeah. It's better than four, whatever the last one was? Yeah, it is the best game in the series. Like, I mean, that is the thing. 2017 was my favorite, but then 2025 was better than that. And then Earth Defense Force 5 is best yet. Wow. Phenomenally fun game. Um, And so, again, it's just a matter of, like, I don't – I get who this game is supposed to be for, but it's not. And it's just not that good. And it really is like the worst game I played last year. And it's like, I'm glad I own it because it's Earth Defense Force and I want to try it. And and I want to give it more time, but it's just a bad game. Yeah, I don't I don't get why they don't just make six faster and, like, get help. I don't know. I mean, again, it's a separate team. It's someone else. And maybe they licensed it. Maybe no, they wanted it. I get I don't that know. it's a second separate team. What I'm saying <coughs> is, like, get those guys to, like, come hang out with the core team and just make six faster. That's my point. I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. It's it's weird. I don't understand the whole disconnect between Japanese and American development, and and then Europe, you know, and the rest of the world. Well, the thing is, the Japanese de- like it, <laughs> Japanese developers are who have made the spinoffs. It's not like they got an American team. Oh, uh, not not Armageddon. Insect Armageddon was a U.S. team. Okay. Um, but this new one, not so, huh? No, that that was not. Um, That's weird. So I don't. That's really weird. Yeah, yeah. Insect Armageddon, I remember it was like a place in Texas. And I was like, uh-oh, when I heard that. <laughs> that game is better, I will say. I remember – I had fun with Insect Armageddon. Um, okay, yeah. It, it's just lacking. Um, I wouldn't put Insect Armageddon on a worst list. Disappointing, sure, but – Yeah, got it. <coughs> got it. Cool. Uh, so I guess that brings us to number one. It does. So real quick, some honorable mentions. Yep. Um uh, like I said, a lot of these are just games that I had fun with, but, you know, they, 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 they became superfluous from my mind as soon as I found Gears 5, The Outer Worlds, Pokemon Sword and Shield, um, 
yeah, those are like the big, the Outer Wilds was actually really good. But I mean, a lot of those are, they're AAA games, they're continuations of series I like, and they're fine. They just, you know, I just played a lot of very fine video games this year, uh, or in 2019. Yeah. Um, but my number one is not fine. My number one is um, a game I was looking forward to. It is a game that was uh, transcendently good. It's a game that's in my top five games of all time now. Okay. Um, when I really stopped and think about it, because it, for me, it was per- it's perfect to me. It's exactly what I wanted. Um, I played through it multiple times. I played through it uh, to get like all the different achievements, and I didn't quite finish it out just by virtue of, of another game came out and I moved on, but. Um, it's exactly what I want for the series. It is uh, Resident Evil Two mm. remake. Oh yeah, it's it's probably not a surprise. Uh, it's not, but, but that's okay because <laughs> it's rad. Yeah, it might be to the listener just by virtue of us not having done an episode in so that's long. True. But that's true. Yeah, Jordan, I will say, um, has played this game maybe six times and like hundred percented it at this point. I think you platinumed it. I did not platinum two yet. Oh, okay. Um, I right. platinum three though, which, is, which was also a very it's much easier. Time. Yeah, it's a much easier game to finish out. Um, but I love what they did with this game. Seven Resident Evil Seven is definitely a course correction, but there were still things in it I didn't love. Um, mainly that I felt like it got way too samey by the end. Um, Resident Evil Seven really just has like it has the bakers and then it has one type of enemy with the molded uh and the molded suck (laughs) they're (laughs) not that exciting um and so by the end when you go through the boat and the mine and it's just constant molded attacks i think i feel like that game gets a little exhausting by the end but i really like the opening mansion and i would even say most resident evil games get worse towards the end because you go from What's great about Resident Evil is being in what should otherwise be a normal place, but it's turned horrific. <coughs> and you end up in places that are horrifying, like a, a, a secret evil lab, and it's just less relatable. Resident Evil 2 has that problem. Um, I think the the police station is... But the police station is so perfect. That's the thing. Like, going around the police station, finding the items to find to unlock things and get other items that'll let you build, like, the battery and then finding the, like, metals that'll open the sewer. The first time through is so much fun. It really is. Um, it it perfectly reimagines Resident Evil 2, the original, and, and gives it this new life. And the third-person perspective that, you know, started with Resident Evil 4 is so good here. Um, it's so, like, Leon and Claire are two of my favorite characters in Resident Evil anyway. And I love young Leon. I love the Claire in this game. Like, when we were talking about favorite character, ta- favorite story, these are games that were in contention for that because I really like Leon and Claire in this. No, they're great in it. I wish the voice actor was my my man from 4, but still, it's great. Um, yeah. So it... I just I wanted to keep playing it. I I wanted more. I was so hyped. And the thing is, like to talk a little about Resident Evil Three, I knew it wasn't going to be as good just by virtue of Resident Evil Three is is a different type of game than Resident Evil Two inherently. And the remake feels a little the Resident Evil Three remake feels a little rushed. But damn, if it's not still a good game by virtue of being built in that same engine and having those connections. Um, uh, But Resident Evil Two remake 
it's like what I want. I want a Code Veronica remake. I want a Resident Evil 1 and a Resident Evil 0 remake. I want all these games in this style. You mean, and I you, hope mean they... you want everything except the one they're actually making? Well, I mean, what's Resident Evil 4 going to look like? That's it's not going to be more modern. Anyway. It's going to be more modern. It has confirmed. I've pretty much read that it's confirmed. You sure? Um, I'm, it's not confirmed, confirmed. I mean, I know that's the rumor. Listen, I'm going to hold out hope because okay. I feel like Res- Resident Evil 4 is a mistake. Um, although, I, you know what? I actually I messed around with Resident Evil 4. It is finally showing its age. That game is not as fun to play anymore. <laughs> uh, its age is finally showing through, but... Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think Resident Evil 4 really needs a remake. Resident Evil 4 isn't the type of game I want. I want that puzzle box. I want, like, wandering around the mansion. I want going around the Arctic, Arctic base or, or exploring the train. I want that feel. And Resident Evil 4 is definitively the game where they abandon that feeling. Resident Evil 4 is a very linear game. I cannot um, wait. I cannot wait to have another reason to play for it. Because I've played it four, three or four times. You know it's one of my top three games of all time. And I cannot wait to have a, just a new version of that to play. Granted, it's such a modern game anyway that like there's not that much that needs to happen. But I just can't wait to see because I know it so well. All the things they do decide to change, and all the I mean again, uh, it, it it can use it more than I think you'd think at this point. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, it, it um, definitely can. I'm not even saying that won't be an impressive game and that I won't play it. I would play a Resident Evil Four remake. It's just it's just like your what fifth, I love your about fifth pick in order. Yeah, what I love about Resident Evil is when it is that puzzle classic feel. And what what's so beautiful about Resident Evil 2 is it feels like the perfect marriage of the classic puzzling style and the more modern action gameplay. Yeah. Yep. Um and so yeah, I just I I can't praise it enough. It it blew me away. I just wanted to keep playing it and playing it and playing it and I was so excited for Resident Evil 3 and it it lived up just by virtue of how fun it is to play the Resident Evil 2 remake engine. Um, I can't wait for 8 and all the wild rumors about it, and I know it's probably going to be back more like Resident Evil 7, and I I just... Resident Evil's in such a good place right now, and when you look back at how bad it was around the time 6 came out, it's like (laughs) a real welcome return to form. Nice. Nice. So Resident Evil 2 is my favorite game of 2019 by by miles. Well, yeah, I think you probably spent the most time in it, too, that year. Um, I mean, it's, oh, well, 14, Final Fantasy 14 is in a different uh, Yeah, game. I mean, if it, yeah, but, but yeah, I spent a lot of time with it, and it was just all good. And and unlike most of the other games I played this year, uh, it stuck with me. One other game, real quick, honorable mention, Sekiro, because it hasn't come up yet. I really like Sekiro. And won't be coming up. <laughs> yeah, I tried to play it, and I was like, it's too punishing for me. Like, I, I like that, that uh, um, Blood uh, Bloodborne, like, I played Bloodborne all the way through and loved it, so I can handle hard games. Sekiro's too hard for me. And and that was that was the thing for me with that game. I found it too easy. I, th- I thought Sekiro was a lot easier than Bloodborne or Dark Souls. And I think it's just a matter of like how you vibe with the games they make. And I, I, I really think Sekiro is like the easiest to get into. But I, I know that's different for everybody, wow. which is so interesting about those games. It, that is really interesting. Tell me this. Why did you stop? Um, I think uh, – honestly, I forget. It, it might have been work. Um, it might have been something else came out. Yeah, and uh, you're not going back. Yeah, it was just, I mean, I'd have to re- probably restart, because it is a game you have to learn. I just felt like it was easier to learn um, than some others. Well, the problem is that it doesn't let you do what I like to do in those games, which is level. 
I love to, like, I'm really dying on this one part, I can go get a couple levels, power up my weapon a little more, and it becomes just slightly easier, and then I can move forward. Like, I love that, and you can't do it in that game, because leveling is tied to, like, events in the plot, and very controlled. That's a very controlled game, unlike the other ones, where, like, you don't really have many options about the way you play through it. Yeah, you can go to some sections first a little bit, but generally speaking, that game has much more control over how you play it. It's much more linear in that sense, so. Yeah, but um, I don't know. I vibed with it. Uh, I think I just I, – I think it was so um, – I don't want to say repetitive because there are some creative enemies, but a lot of it just felt like a little samey at times by virtue of – and I, I think it's purposeful. It's like the reason you don't level up is because, no, this is a game about the skill of the like clashing. But you fight a lot of dudes with swords in that game. You know, Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, no, I get it. Its strength it could be its weakness for the for a different person, you know. Um, um, so but I really liked. It. I did. Awesome. I just didn't finish it. Cool. So I'm going to go through my honorable mentions quickly. Um, Outer Worlds we talked about quite a bit. I think it's pretty clear. I love playing it. The whole time I was playing it, I was having a great time. But at the end, it isn't. It isn't as good um, as other games like it. Um, Rage Two. Did you play this? Was that last year? Last. Yeah, that game was nothing. That, that was a that was a aw, that was a bad game. Was Maybe that, that should have been year? my worst. Was that last? That doesn't year? seem. I feel like that's got to have been. That I would have seen Maybe that. Maybe that, that was Windows. Maybe that was Windows release. Let me look. Windows probably might have been the issue. Hold on, let me see. No, dude. May fourteenth, twenty nineteen, bro. That was last year. I must have just missed it. Uh, put that in honorable mentions for worst. That was a bad game. <laughs> okay. Well. I have it on my honorable mentions for best because I enjoyed playing it. It has a terrible story that just ends as abruptly as any story you've ever seen in your entire life. However, the gameplay was incredibly fun. I love tearing through that world. You know why? Because it's an open world like a like a Ubisoft game or like a you know, one of those different open world games where you just, or, you know, I, really a Ubisoft game. What are the other big open world ones? I guess Grand Theft. What are the other big open world Watch Dogs. No, but not, uh, not Ubi. Non-Ubi. Oh, Sleeping Dogs? <laughs> wow, yeah. Saints Ubisoft, Row? Yeah, Ubisoft These are really old. is it. So anyway, it's got that Ubisoft idea of going around and, like, clearing out strongholds and all that. But Spider-Man is kind of that way. But, yeah. But this game is... It's all in microcosm. It's all, like, quicker. It's a smaller world, which I don't love that it's a smaller world, but because it's a smaller world, you can actually finish everything. And and the combat is really fun. Yeah, the shotgun's good. But I liked a lot of the other weapons. I liked a lot of the abilities that you have. It's certainly not a perfect game, but it is a game. I mean, remember this. Honorable <laughs> Mentions doesn't mean um, almost got number one. Oh, no, I know. It means, right, almost number three. So... You know, it's in that category for me. It's certainly not anywhere near the, the my top three here. But I definitely enjoyed playing the hell out of it. And I actually almost considered the DLC. That's how much I enjoyed it. So Rage Rage 2 was good. But I also loved Rage a lot. So that's another reason that I was into it is because I loved that. That's fair. Game. I never played Rage. My, my takeaway with Rage 2 was that it's like, man, if you try to do Borderlands in a realistic style, everything just feels gross as hell. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of that for sure. Um, Crackdown 3. So, Crackdown 3 is a... I mean, quite frankly, this shouldn't be an honorable mention. I just want to talk about it. Um, it's way too short. 
the multiplayer is ludicrously bad, even though it uses cloud compute, and I think that's hilarious that it actually, like, claims this awesome thing. And then when you see the graphics, especially the single-player campaign, which wasn't even made by the cloud compute multiplayer team, totally different team made it, um, the graphics look like PS2, Xbox uh, 360. I mean, it's hilarious. That game is a hilarious failure, but the eight-hour Crackdown 3 campaign is super fun to play through. One time, not again. Um, but if you want to just have like a fun slaughter fest time for five to eight hours, collect some orbs and just have a good time, It's it, that game is where it's at. And you can get it on Game Pass like I did, so you don't have to buy it. And if you do it that way, and you go in there with really low expectations, you will have fun, I promise. So, <laughs> All right. Um, Resident Evil 2 Remake. So all the reasons that you mentioned. I was nowhere near as into it, obviously, as you were. Um, but I played it through one and a half times, and I loved my experience with it. Just getting to see those characters again and being reminded of that story. Because for me, my real memories of Resident Evil, um, I played them all. Um, but my real memories of Resident Evil come from 4 and on, the ones that I remember in the modern era of games. So I haven't revisited those early ones in a while. Um, you know, so getting to see different characters that kind of, and stories and plots with Leon and Claire, um, that start there. And what's that? Oh man, I can't believe I'm blanking on her name. Who's the badass in the red dress? Ada. Ada. And the Ada Wong stuff and how that... And how that starts there, but really plays a huge role in 4. And then 5, I think she's even in it. So all of that stuff like was kind of started with 2. 2 is where like the real lore of Resident Evil took off, I feel like. Um, you know, all the, the recurring characters and all like that cool shit. I mean, granted, there's people from 1 that, that resurfaced later. But, but really, it turned into like its own, like, wow, this world is getting built in 2. And so it just reminded me of how far back all that stuff I love goes. And I mean... Ask anybody, they nailed the remake. It's a pitch-perfect remake. Everything about it's perfect. Zombies maybe take one too many shots to go down, but aside from that, it's just perfect. So, I mean, honorable mention all the way. Could eat very close to control for my number three spot, but it didn't quite edge it out. And then finally, Link's Awakening. I can't believe nobody talks about this game for last year. Um, it's a really good game for 15 hours. And then after that, <laughs> I never want to play it again. And I mean fucking never. Like, it's just one of those things where I, this is the reason that I'm starting to... I told you about this, I think. This is the reason that buying games on digital kind of annoys me nowadays, especially on Switch, because this game burned me. Now, I'll give you a counterpoint. Buy any Mario game on digital. F replayable forever, Right? By, by Zelda Breath of the Wild. Oh my god, I want to go back into it. I want to play the DLC. Even playing it again from start to finish, that 100 hours would be amazing, right? Um, yeah. So I, I, I would love to play Breath of the Wild again five years later. Um, there's a lot of games that are like that where I would like to play them and replay them. This is not one of those games. This game, I played it on DS. It's, I've always said it's my favorite Zelda. I probably don't fully agree with that statement anymore, but certainly it's my favorite Zelda the first time I played through all of them. But things so much has happened since then. But I playing that as a young, I think I was 12 or 13, on a Game Boy with the Luke Green color, um, and fighting those bosses that were just so, like, mechanically fun to fight, and they have a little eyeball, and you're swiping your sword at it. I, I just loved that shit. I had the strategy guide from Nintendo Power sitting next to me, and I was living the gamer life, you know? 
that that was why I love that game so much. And this reminded me of all the things that I love about it, but in no way does it hold up the way that I that my memories do of that game. And I never want to play it again, so I'm a little bit bitter about it for those reasons. Nonetheless, it's still one of my favorite Zelda games ever, and it got remade very well. Um, so for those reasons, that's in the honorable mention list. Very nice. Do you have any idea what my number one is? I don't think you do. Or do you? Um, no, I can't say that I do. Maybe it'll make sense when you say it. It will. It will. Um, Jedi Fallen Order. Okay, wow. Yeah. Um, this game is a Metroidvania, if you didn't know. It is also a massive, um, you know, third-party hack-and-slash-a-thon Star Wars masterpiece. This game is phenomenal. If you haven't played Jedi Fallen Order, I don't think you have, have you? No, it was on sale. I, I missed it, unfortunately. I was wrong about when, when the sale ended. Uh, I was going to pick it up, but I missed it. It rules, Jordan. This game is front to back brilliant it was directed by the dude who directed god of war 3 and like you could this is in that kind of category like the game plays kind of like a a first party playstation game you kind of know what i mean when i say that it's yeah. got like that weight to it where you can tell that like they were they were able to make it a shorter game but a better game they were able to like do things that they believed in, even though it isn't like right along with the norm of current day de- developers. You know, because a lot of these games they're kind of forced to do the things that like modern gamers want because you know you have to hit certain numbers and you know Activision demands it or Ubisoft corporate demands it, and every game gets so homogenized. This game doesn't feel like other blockbuster games, much like Spider-Man didn't feel like other blockbuster games either. It was open world and all of that, but it had its own feeling when you played it, and it did feel like its own thing. Jedi Fallen Order this past year has that same thing, where it's like, they did what they wanted to do with this game. And it's essentially everything you want if you loved The Force Unleashed, but wished that it was in, like, a Metroidvania world where it was, like, connected. And going around and collecting secrets and getting power-ups and making your character more badass and opening skills and fighting bosses, the combat feels awesome. Um, the the enemy in this game is fantastic. The couple uh, crew members you fly around with are awesome. Um, this ally that you ally with later in the game is completely awesome. And there are some things they fail on, right? So, like, a Metroidvania in its truest sense means that you go to, uh, you know, World 1, then World 2, then World 3, then you get certain powers that make you want to go back to Worlds 1 and 2 and pick up some awesome shit, then maybe you can go back to World 4 or whatever. Or they don't even have a world structure in that true sense in the first place. And it's just you're walking around this big world and you go left a little bit, then right a little bit, then left a little further, then down, then, you know. Um, this this one does sort of like a very specific linear level where it goes one to the next to the next, but at a couple points you can veer left or right um, and have a harder experience or an easier one, depending on that decision that you make. And then you get certain powers, and then you can go back to each of the worlds and kind of clear them out at different points. And sometimes a guide is necessary to kind of help you figure out what the best time is to go back to certain worlds and clear up all the items to be as efficient as possible. But just front to back, the game is a blast to play. Um, and I can't think of a game that I had more fun with and that I sat down with. It's kind of like my 
not that I played it as much as you played RE2, but it's kind of the game that I felt that way about. That every time I got home, I put that game on, and I was ready to rock. And ready to have the best time I could possibly have gaming. So for me, Jedi Fallen Order um, is my number one game of 2019. Very nice. I mean, yeah, it's one I really want to play. It just... Um, mon- I think it was it was... I forget when it was released exactly, but I think monetarily or just based on other stuff that had come out, it was a no-go at the time. And like I said, I want to get it. I know it's in that old enough to be on good sale now, so I'm yeah. just kind of waiting for another sale to come around. Yeah, you definitely have uh, to. It's, it, I mean, you'll love it. I mean, I would have thought you'd love Control, though, you know? And that's and, and maybe we'll be able to rectify that in the future. But I just I hope so. Because the thing about that is, is like you love like those kind of monsters and those kind of stories and it's got a horror vibe and it's and it's I mean it's like a lot of things you like it's just that's why I'm so surprised you know I I'm going to keep smacking against it <laughs> awesome or or yeah I was going to try to say something pithy but but really point blank it's just the controls and the gameplay are what's killing you huh yeah yeah so we'll see all right well anyway this was really fun man I'm glad we got a chance to go back to uh to 2019 and, and revisit it. I will say, to sum things up, um, very lackluster year overall. As I look back at my list, yes, there were a couple huge highlights, but it isn't one of those the hits keep coming years. It just isn't. No, but, uh, you know, every year's a new chance. I think so far this year's actually been pretty solid. What are some uh, of the ones, just real quick, that you've seen this year that you're kind of were hyped about? Resident Evil 3, I think. You know, <laughs> I know. Uh, you you know. one-track mine, you. Yeah, uh, but Final Fantasy VII Remake, um, I'm enjoying. I'm sure you know we can get a chance to talk more about that at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Animal Crossing, I really want to play Doom Eternal at some point. So there's a lot of good stuff. It's just hopefully it won't be more ephemeral experiences that float away as soon I as know. I'm done. I know. That's true. That's very true. Awesome. Well, hey, on that note, actually hopefully not on that note, Hope on, an, <laughs> on a hopeful note for 2020 – Um, I'm Rich Lepore. Jordan Alseca. And we'll see everyone later. Take care.